cuddly donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's Wednesday, the 28th of September, 2022, and it is time for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. I am one half of your hosting duo. I, my name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. You are also joined by my friend, partner, hetero life mate. Goes by an a, a array of titles. He's also the king of Connecticut. It's my friend and yours, Brian Campbell. What's up, BC? Oh, Luke, so happy to be back with you on this hump day in a loaded, right? I mean, let's be fair, a loaded episode of Morning Combat coming the people's way. Would you say that normally Wednesday's our shit show of the three, Luke? This week, it's prime viewing. Yeah, normally Wednesdays are a bit of a slow day, but uh, today, not so much. So let's see, let's see. We've got a huge slate of fights this weekend. Starting actually, to, well, actually starting last night because Bo Nickel performed last night. Tonight is Invicta, and then you've got not one but two one cards. You've got a Bellator card, a UFC card, and a BKFC card. There is a lot going on. Plus, we don't normally do this. We're going to try it out. We are supposed to be joined. We are scheduled to be joined by one Mackenzie Dern, who, of course, headlines the UFC card this weekend at around 12.15. That's a fluid situation, as we all kind of know. We'll see how that goes. She's supposed to be here as well. Fan subs, you get the idea. So thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Please hit subscribe as well. If you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, top do five. leave a nice review. Top five too, Luke. We're going to top five. Oh, yes. What, what was I do? saying? So I got roasted on Twitter a little bit by, by simpletons largely, but people who have terrible uh, taste in movies were upset that I noted that they had terrible taste in movies. And so we're going to give each five recommendations for movie fans, five, or I should say MMA fans, excuse me, what am I saying? MMA fans, five movies that we feel like you can sink your teeth into. That's all we're saying. So we'll do that as well uh, today. want to remind everyone, Showtime is a label that pays. And again, if you want to watch Bellator 286 this weekend, Pitbull back in action, you can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Uh, let's see. You got some merch on here today, BC, as I can see uh, at least the hat. What, what, what do you got there? What's the shirt? Is the shirt the UFC one? Yeah, yeah. The shirt is representing love for, for Down Under. And since we have so many great fans down there, Luke, I wanted to give an open mouth kiss to all of our Australian fans. Uh, yes, thank you very much. But uh, yeah, buy our merch, morningcombat.store. Uh, tell them RJ sent you through BC. What I don't care what you tell them. Just, just buy it. I mean, it's great stuff, okay? So do that stuff. Uh, Luke, you mentioned that Bellator card is actually the Saturday, not a Friday night card, a Saturday Correct. card, so I'm yeah, excited sorry. about that. You didn't say Friday. I'm just letting the people know. Prime viewing on that one. Tune in. And uh, also, um, I think I had something else important to say, Luke. Well, Today. actually, I, I, I have to double-check this on the time, but I believe this is correct. The good news for MMA fans is that the UFC card starts a little early. I think the I think it, the main card's at 7, something like that. And so that should be done right around the time the 10 p.m. main card starts for... Bellator, which I have to double check is 10 p.m., but I believe that's correct as well. So there should oh, I be know what I wanted to too plug. much overlap. A final plug here is that, uh, or at least plug of the moment, uh, youtube.com slash morning combat. Luke, already they know they can get, you know, three fantastic live episodes per week and great bonus content. Not only do we have a fantastic extra credit that is live and direct, but this room service diaries entry that's been sitting on our RSD shelf for a while, special guest Chuck Mindenhall. If you have not checked this out, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it's been called, Luke, 
a a little taste of of MMA beat in the modern era, if you will. Will you? Yeah, yeah it, it feels that way a little bit, but it was good to I mean, I, I've known Chuck. I've worked with Chuck for a long time, and so some of this stuff I lived through in real time, but obviously I don't know his full background. I didn't, you know, telling the stories about Colorado and hanging out with Birdman in an elevator and stuff like that. There's just tons of new details. So an OG in the game who's got a lot of wisdom, a lot of interesting perspective, it was fun to share that with him. Also kind of reminds me for that New York show – so the UFC 281, man, we're going to have to blow that one up. We're going to have to see if we can do some fun stuff that week. Um, I'm sure that yeah, we can. Yeah, first of all, I want to do a live show. So I hope Showtime and Malka are ready for me. Let's get Jake up in the bullpen. Uh, second of all, Luke, you know, if you want to if you want to bang that week and just, you know, get our friends together and just make a big MMA orgy, let's do it. All right? I'm in. Let's do it. Let, let's bang. Let's bang, Tui. Uh, okay. I think that is about it for today. Oh, one last note. I have a buddy of mine who lives in Tampa, so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Uh, send in good thoughts and prayers and all that kind of stuff to the people of Florida who are going to be getting hit by the hurricane now, basically. Um, obviously, I talked to Danny Segura. He's in Miami. They just got some heavy rains. Nothing too, too crazy. But if you're in that middle, sort of north-ish area of, well, middle-ish area of um, Florida, I wish you nothing but the best. I hope everyone can find a way to stay safe. And um, we're thinking about you. We're thinking yeah, about yeah, you. But that hurricane's you're- turning nasty. Whether you're going to evacuate or bite down and stay, uh, we're with you on this journey. I mean, look, we've all, we all know somebody, right, that lives there. My parents in northern Florida, looking like they're going to be right on the outside of it, but still a little bit hectic with all the rain they've been getting. So, uh, look, MK cares. If don't nobody else care, we got your back. Uh, bite down. We can get through this together. Thank you very much. Uh, and I want to remind everyone that we do this, you know, uh, all the time, and folks think it's a bit. It's definitely not a bit. BC, our next sponsor... AG1, a product that we use all the time, most days, if not every day. I love it. You love it. What a great drink. Yeah, I use it as much as you can use MK, right? All day, almost every day. Only I do it once every morning. One magical scoop of the AG1 green powder, and you're asking, what does it do for you? Well, how about this? You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, Let's get adaptive. Let's start our day right. We've done enough years of, um, you know, lessening our, our our the upper bound limits of our potential dying age. Why don't we bring that number, you know, back into a little bit of a safe zone? Hey, all it takes is one scoop. It's a good start. It's a, it's a way to start it, Luke. Let's start it together. It certainly uh, is. I want to folks know you can travel with it. It's good for that. You can take it on busy days like our live stream days. And BC, it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, gluten free, contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting good. I know all you out there with a vape habit or a cold brew habit. Well, what does it cost? How about less than three bucks a day to to, to take advantage of this small micro habit with big time benefits? And you know, if you don't think I'm an authority on this. We're talking about leading health experts, people like Tim Ferriss, Michael Gervais, giving the thumbs up to AG1. Or how about those seven thousand people? That have left five-star reviews. 7,000 people can't be wrong. They can't. Technically, they could, but in this case, they're not. Uh, right now, time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. And to make it even easier to the MK viewer out there who's saying, hey, look, I hear you talking about this. I don't know if I should. We'll, we'll sweeten the deal. You go to morning. I'm sorry, athleticgreens.com 
slash morning combat right now for your first order what are you going to get five free travel packs added in and how about that one year supply of immune immune supporting vitamin d just a little droplet once a day look these are small little moves you can make on the larger chessboard that gets you closer to taking down that queen you know <laughs> you know what i mean you know i mean do you <laughs> you know Tell them right? where they can go bc uh athleticgreens.com slash morning combat only though if you're willing to take ownership over your health today, all right? I know right. I am. Last yeah, time, athleticgreensplural.com slash morning combat to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. There it is. Okay, let's get this started if we can. Again, a monster, monster weekend for combat sports. There isn't any kind of like, there's no Nate Diaz, there's no John Jones on the docket, so to speak, but there's just so much good stuff to get to so let's start we start with ufc ufc vegas 61 by the way the fans and the media are not allowed the you I, I i have heard the reason why I, I have not been able to double verify it so i can't really say without uh more i i don't know what to make of it but the point being is dana white was asked about it yesterday after the presser for um the contender series and Gave a really non-answer, which was very disappointing, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Anyway, we start with the main event. Mackenzie Dern taking on Yan Xiaonan. BC, if you look at the rankings for this, I had it pulled up. You have Dern sitting at five. You've got Xiaonan sitting at six. What is this fight really about? You know, on the surface for both, it's about taking that one giant big step into right into the middle of title contention in Really, one of the deepest divisions historically since its law since its launch at the end of 2014. I think, though, for Mackenzie Dern, Luke, there there is that higher aspect of star power. Yes, she's had a loss in her last two fights, that unanimous decision loss to Marina Rodriguez, and she's lost twice overall. But 12 and two coming into her own as a legitimate force, rounding out her striking game to some degree with that fantastic ground base and jujitsu skills. But at 29, Luke, you have to believe if she gets a win here over Yan Shaonan while still being high stakes for the opponent as well, specifically for Dern, this could be big things. I mean, are we talking about if she wins in spectacular fashion, the potential opportunity of cutting the line and going to the head of the class? I don't say it's out of the question, Luke, giving her a commercial appeal. Yeah, I would just be surprised if it was. I think this sets up maybe a number one contenderish fight, something like that. I mean, again, you're right. With Mackenzie Dern, 29 years of age, she did have a win over Tisha Torres. She only has the two losses, the one to Marina Rodriguez and then previously to Amanda Hebos. But she put together a lot of decent wins in between and certainly the last one after that against Tisha Torres. So here's how it stands. You've got Carla sitting at the uh, championship position. She's going to be fighting... Zhang Weili, who's sitting at two. Rose is at one. We don't really know exactly what's going to happen there. Marina sitting at three. Marina is really your number one contender. She should be getting the winner between Zhang Weili and Carla Esparza. And then after that, it's Andrade, who has returned to straw weight and has looked pretty good since then. And then Dern and Xiaonan. So it's like you've got Marina Rodriguez there. Jessica Andrade has obviously reclaimed a lot of momentum by going down a weight class and looking as good as she did. And then there's this. It's just hard for me to believe, I guess, if the performance is spectacular, she could do that. To me, it's more about, like, yes, getting this win puts her in a very advantageous position 
title shot seems unlikely, but pretty close to one, so that's great. But more than that, to me, BC, it's not like Yan Xiaonan has lights-out takedown defense. I don't think that's quite true. But you're just looking to see if Dern can keep rounding these corners. She's been with Jason Perillo now for some time, previously with the MMA Lab. And she gets better and better and better, but the takedowns have been a thing that have kind of eluded her. And you like that's why she lost the Rodriguez fight. Like Once it was on the ground, she gave Rodriguez all the problems she could handle. Rodriguez managed to get out of that, obviously, and win. But on the ground, there was just and really anyone in this division. It's not really a mystery about who is better in that space. It's just the challenge of getting the fight to that space where she has to take, even against Tisha Torres, for example, she has to jump into these crazy positions because she has difficulty, um, you know, carefully uh, putting the fight in those positions. So she has to take these big risks, which are high risk, high reward, but they're often just uh, in, a, in a more mundane way of thinking about it. They're just low percentage attacks. And so I think what they're also looking for is, yes, staying busy, staying consistent, beating good fighters. I think what they're looking at for Dern is to round that corner. And for Xiaonan, BC, folks forget, she's coming in on a two-fight losing streak. She got finished off by Esparza, and the fight against Rodriguez was close, but she did, in fact, lose it. You know, three in a row would really be a setback. It would bump her way back inside that top 10. This is about getting back on the winning track. And you beat someone like Dern, man, that would do wonders for your reputation, for your visibility, and certainly it would stop the metaphorical bleeding here. Yeah, uh, I had some metaphorical bleeding. Look, there's some work being done in my house. Excuse me, I lost my power for a second. I'm back at it. I heard everything you said, though, and the key, I think you're right, is l- let me let me dead wrong myself in real time. I sort of meant after Marina Rodriguez, that four-fight winning streak right now, which includes w- <laughs> recent victories over both the fighters in this main event on Saturday, although a split decision against uh, Yao Shanan, but... Um, she's going to have next, you're right, after. And look, we've got a weird sort of title situation, obviously, right now with Carla holding the belt, coming off of that stinker of a rematch with Rose. Uh, I do think Zhang Weili is, a, you know, refurbished and ready as a rising stock right here. But it's no shortage of uh, of stakes just the same for Dern, who even if she had to do one more stop and, wow, the scenario you played out, the potential of having to also go through Jessica Andrade to get there, well, that just shows you potentially how, how tough it is to get in front of this division. And Dern's already tried twice and had minor setbacks, but she's back here. I think that the fact that Yao Shanan is Yao Shanan is this good, Luke, but is coming off of two defeats against top-tier talent, you're going to get the very best of her knowing the stakes in this situation. And a win here over Dern really could repair any momentum lost from that two-fight losing skid. So you're looking at very high stakes in one of the best divisions I know we're going to break it down X's and O's on, on, on come Friday, Luke, but they they match up well. I'm looking for a very high high wire type of fight here. High, you know, uh, high output. Uh, this is going to be a good one. I mean, this be, is this is a not a great card. Appointment viewing for the main event. Believe that, Luke. Yeah, I would agree with the main event. There's a couple other gems on this card. It would just be interesting to me to see if Dern can actually strike fully with Yan Xiaonan. That would be. I think a big, uh, uh, obviously she's been working on a striking for some time, but to be able to do that against an opponent that quality would also be a sign of development. But really what I'm looking for is can she can she execute a strategic plan around takedowns to really let her jujitsu shine? If you can do that, you can do a lot. I mean, her ground game, she doesn't, she can barely, you know, keep that thing from rusting and she's still going to be way ahead, way ahead of the rest of the uh, division in terms of the skills she has in jiu-jitsu. She doesn't need to develop them anymore. Obviously, some adaptations for MMA purposes, but in terms of like building those skills, she's got them. They're already there. What she has to find to do is find that intermediary to really get there. I'd be curious to see in either direction 
if we can get some movement in that regard. You mentioned the rest of the card. There are some interesting fights on this one. Your co-main event is Maso Renduba, Francisco Trinaldo, taking on Randy Brown. <clears throat> Excuse me. Trinaldo, by the way, 44 years of age. He actually is older than me, if you can believe it. Riding a two-fight win streak after losing a fight to Muslim Salikov. Randy Brown, on the other hand, BC, coming in with three wins in a row over Alex Oliveira, Jared Gooden, and Chaos Williams. At welterweight, not the most scintillating bout, but a very good one. And I would actually say for Randy Brown, you beat a guy like Trinaldo. That's one of those tests that goes in that sort of unranked space, but it would still be hugely valuable, even for a 44-year-old Trinaldo who is as crafty a veteran as they come, certainly very tough and very heavy-handed. He's a dangerous guy. He's not the best guy in the weight class, not by a mile, but he is not easy to beat. You get a guy, a guy like that, you're doing something in the sport. Absolutely. Trinaldo, like 29 days older than me, Luke. Uh, he looks Jesus. a lot older than me, even though he's ripped and jacked. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he, in the face, he's got his face looks like a catcher's mitt. I mean, he's yeah, definitely in the, old. in the face. Uh, this is a, a sneaky good win streak of late for Randy Brown. If if he can record a fourth straight win here in a you know elevated co-main event opportunity, it is time to find out what we have here in terms of age thirty two in terms of him making his prime run to try to you know catapult into that top ten or that extended top fifteen. There, Luke. Um, I, he's been adding a little bit each time and certainly adding the confidence. I, I want to see the odds of where that's at because this is this this should be a spirited affair just the same, Luke. Do you know where we're at with these odds? Uh, I'll pull them yeah, I'll pull them up here for just a second. Minus three hundred Randy Brown, your commanding Ooh. favorite here, plus two forty Trinaldo. This is according to Caesars. And on that main event, plus two hundred Yao Shanan minus 240 Mackenzie Dern. So look, Brown a little bit wider than I would expect. Even with Trinaldo's age, he is riding a two-fight win streak, and he is, you know, tough as a... Uh... Did you see that 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 uh, that mummy they exhumed recently, Luke? They opened up the... the From it was like 20... Egypt, I think? Yeah, it was like 25,000 years old or something, 2,500 maybe, and they opened it up, and everybody didn't have masks, and then they put their face in their hands, and it looked like it smelled like, uh, you know, the restroom of a Taco Bell, but... Uh, uh, you know, Trinaldo's not in that in that coffin just yet, Luke. Okay, I I, I think this is going to be a very tough test for Brown, despite being a three to one favorite. Yeah, I would agree. Brown, the slicker striker, but Trinaldo has just a phenomenal way of getting around people's reach for big punches that score big and and change the complexion of a round or a fight. He's very very good at that. Look, don't um, go too far. Some... Don't go too far away from the main event here. Before I just sprinkle in one question to you, um, you know you've. The U the UFC's Chinese invasion, which has you know produced a world champion in Zhang Wei Li, a rising contender in Song Yudong, despite the recent setback. Uh, you know the leech is is respected and right there in the mix, and and Yan Shanan can really turn back that recent skid uh, and and vault herself, as we mentioned with the stakes here, directly into title contention. Has are we at the point of calling this? PI investment in the whole move, which every combat sports promoter from Bob Arum with Zhu Ximing to everybody's been trying to knock on China's door for a while. We're starting to see the fruit and the dividends play out here pretty consistently, correct? Yeah, but this, I would even say, <clears throat> excuse me, I would even say that we're still very, very early in that. You know, that PI that's been there has not been there very long. Um, obviously, the UFC is doing some like road to Asia stuff in terms of the talent development there. We are at the very, very, I would say the very, very beginning of all of that. What you have at this stage to me, 
um, are your pioneers, quite frankly. I mean, obviously, Chinese MMA has been around longer than that, and I, I think people who are closer to that scene might say there are some other folks who deserve that credit. But in terms of people really breaking out onto the elite side of the sport in the modern era, th this is the first group in, in a kind of a real way. It's going to be the subsequent group and the one after that and the one after that. That's going to be the one where you are the ones, I should say, where you'll really see the fruit of all those efforts that the UFC and, of course, a lot of other people as well have put into it. So fair enough to say that, the, that, that certainly UFC has some Chinese talent that they can parade that they can use and that are legitimate title threats, certainly in the case of Zhang Weili. Uh, but to me, just the beginning. I would expect a lot more in the future. And on the flip side, Luke, to close on this main event talk here, as we were talking about both the co-main and the main, how how high do you think Dern's star potential actually is, you know, in terms of, you know, attention, gate receipts, all that? This division has produced some stars. You want a champion. Rose Namajunas has, has crossed over in some ways, you know, among her various huge wins. Uh, we've sort of labeled Dern as like a, you know, descendant of what Ronda Rousey started this, you know, a face for the camera, dominant ground game when she's in a great position there. Do you, do you really believe in the potential of, of her becoming a star if she can keep winning at this level? I sure do. 29 years of age, as we mentioned, on the mat, better than everyone else in, in, in maybe all of women's MMA in terms of pure jiu-jitsu skills. Um, that's how good she is. One of the most decorated jiu-jitsu competitors ever, certainly on the female side. Um, and, you know, got to remember, uh, obviously, he speaks English and speaks Portuguese. So she can travel between two nations. So she could be somebody big in Brazil. She could be somebody here. Now, you might be asking, can she be the next Ronda Rousey? Well, that's asking a lot. I don't know if that's really possible or even in the cards. But if, and again, it all comes back to the same thing. If you're going to be a star in the UFC, there are, uh, you know, exceptions here or there, but this is really true for all of them. Dude, you got to win and you got to win big. And for someone like Dern, you probably need to win a title. You, you probably need to get to that level to really maximize star potential. Some can do it without it. We just had Nate Diaz, but those are, those are the exception that mostly prove the rule. So I do think she can be a big star. I do think she can be a big asset. And she's obviously done quite well, make no mistake. But to get to what you're talking about, that next next level, yeah, dude, she's got to win those. She's got to win those big. But I do think the star potential is there, absolutely. Yeah, f a fighting mom as well. So shout out. You know, you you right. never see her without her husband and daughter next to her. And I always, I always commend that, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't go any places without my kid and wife either. So I understand that. Uh, by the way, also on this card, BC, we don't have to go into it too, in great detail. Sadiq Youssef is back. I think he was supposed to fight Urosh Medic, who got injured. He takes on Adon, I might be mispronouncing his last name, Shanus, uh, who is the Cage Titans 145-pound champ, uh, riding a 3-5 win streak, I think all three by finish. Sadiq Youssef, to your point about the betting odds, according to our friends at Caesars, is a substantial favorite at minus 900. But I do think Youssef has been one of these guys who, from this area, by the way, very talented, has a lot of ability, but I'm still looking for him to keep adding to that development for him to be a potential title threat. I don't know that this bout meaningfully moves the needle in, in terms of the climbing the ladder kind of consideration, but it's an important fight for him to get back in. the. It's, it's, important, for, it's important for him to use this as an opportunity to showcase development, I think. Agreed, and he's 5-1 and one since coming to the UFC and, and looking to put that Arnold Allen loss behind him. Uh, what is he, 12th, I think you said, in the top 15? This would be a, a big opportunity here against Don. How do you pronounce this? Shyness, Luke? I think Shyness. Shyness, Shyness to take a next step forward. But, Luke, I've got my own sort of 
super sloppy eyeballs on a few other matchups. Are you ready for that? I think I have an idea about which one that might be, but tell me. Well, first of all, in this main card opener, I will be looking closely to see v- uh, Vlacheslav Borshev. But, you know, they call him Slava Claus, Luke. Remember when he came yes, on the scene yes. of the Dana White Contender Series? Did have that hiccup against Mark Jacasey. He's going to have to run that back. He'll be taking on Mike Davis in a lightweight bout. Dude, Slava Claus is funny shit to watch, okay? That's just just, just the reality there. But, Luke, this preliminary card, heavyweight featured main event on the JV level here, is going to be weird, gross, and sloppy, and I can't wait for it. Alexi Olenek versus Beefy Latifi himself. Luke, how friggin' weird is this fight going to be? It's going to be great. It's going to be all over that cage. Dude, we don't put any kind of respect on Alexi Olenek, who's like almost 60, I think, at this point. Got a bunch of wins and losses, can surprise a heavyweight who's still got ability. But Luke, do you follow him on social media? He's always got snakes around his bare chest. This guy just finds a way to kind of crafty old man in the driveway style win fights. Uh, he's becoming an odd brand of must-see TV for me. Am I overplaying that that hand, that card to you? I love watching this guy. Now you're telling me I get him and Latifi going to trade positions on the ground. I'm here for this, okay? Latifi being a slight favorite according to the odds makers. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say this. For Olenek, the spot that he occupies is like if you can't beat him... Not that beating him is necessarily easy, given some of his wins, but if you can't beat him, it's kind of hopeless for you in this division, right? Like he's a he's got a very significant gatekeeping role in that way, and of course he's got famous for the Nogi Ezekiel choke, which he does quite well. Uh, beyond that, though, like anybody who's got a future in this division should not lose to him. So to me, it's yeah, but like that's, a bit that's of an where IQ Latifi's test. at. That's the thing. That's where Latifi's at too. So it's kind of like this weird featured kind of like loser leaves town feel to it. And Luke, Alexi Olenek is the ultimate dad at 45. He's full on dad bod and he finds weird ass submissions you never heard of to get wins. This is going to be a weird one. Get ready for it. Super sloppy. Yes. Or it could be short if Latifi just bombs on him and, and knocks him out. You mentioned, by the way, the Borshev Davis fight. Mike Davis, one of these guys, a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal uh, I actually think a really good fighter who hasn't quite broken out in the way that I had expected him to. It'll be interesting to see if he does. Also, Tabitha Ricci taking on Jessica Penne, uh, another one to keep your eye on. And then, like, uh, Maxime Grishin taking on Felipe Lins, a battle of, P- I think, former PFL stars in that one as well. All right. Yeah, jo- Christoph Joko versus Brendan Allen. I don't hate that another either, Luke. And, yeah. and by the way, Ricci was supposed to be fighting Cheyenne Vlismas, Luke. We had a hiccup there. They, they they couldn't make it work, all right? Also, I'm amazed that Guido Canetti is still in the UFC. Uh, Argentine, kind of an older dude. Never really been super great. Um, still finding a way to hang on. So we'll see what happens there as well. All right. Topic number two, another event this weekend is going to be Bellator. Bellator 286, of course, last weekend. They were in Dublin, Ireland. This weekend, I believe they're going to be in Inglewood, uh, of all places. Up to no, no Long good. Beach. Come Long on, Beach. it's what AJ McKee's backyard. Come yes, on, come yes. On what here. am I saying? What am I saying? I, I got the wrong neighborhood. Long Beach, forgive me. Uh, of course, this will air on Showtime. BC, your main event, Pitbull, old Patricio, the 145 type, taking on Adam Boric. This, of course, is going to be a featherweight title fight. Boric coming off that blood and guts fight against Mads Burnell. He won it. He's a very deserving contender. My question for you is, how much of a threat do you actually think Boric is to a guy like Patricio at this stage in his career? 
I think pretty strong, Luke. You're going to favor uh, Patricio f- for many reasons here, and obviously he bounced back and got that gritty sort of chess match victory over uh, A.J. McKee and their big money rematch and, you know, big attention on that. And obviously A.J. McKee on this card is sort of lingering in the overall conversation. But as it pertains to this actual fight, look, we've seen Boric have that early peak moment against Aaron Pico. We've seen him stumble when he's climbing. I think he's putting it all together right now. It's still... You know, in some ways, leans heavily on his striking compared to to, to a potential all-around game. But Patricio Pitbull's 35, and we had A.J. McKee on the Room Service Diaries couch, and I, I, I definitely uh, appoint everyone to get out there and check it out if you missed it because it's very interesting insight to the mind of a 27-year-old you know star who's looking to put the pieces back together after his first defeat. But A.J.'s not convinced, Luke, that Pitbull doesn't retire if he defends his title here against Boric and basically just say F you to the potential of a trilogy on the way out. I think that's something to watch closely, just as I think Boric has a shot here, Luke, to to, to sneaky jump in there and, and have moments. He's going to have the size advantage over Pitbull. I think, Luke, he's got that kind of game that, it, look, if he's going to be on his back for, for the whole fight, he's going to have issues. But if he can control striking from distance, and that's never easy against somebody like Pitbull, this could be an interesting fight. I'm not sleeping on on uh, the Hungarian whatsoever. Yeah, I gotta be. Uh, Caesars doesn't have odds, so I'm just gonna go with what what else is out there. Dude, the odds are close. Pitbull at about a minus one thirty five, minus one forty, and you've got Boric at roughly around plus one fifteen. You got him as high as plus one thirty in some places out there. They've got this one as very competitive. I'm surprised that the odds are that close because. Boric is tall. I, I, I think he's going to have a reach advantage. I don't know how significant. Uh, and I don't think this is like Patricio in necessarily his prime. I think he's slowly on the other end of it, although still obviously he's champion for a reason, to be clear. I do think he's the best featherweight in that organization. But it's a tough fight for Boric. Patricio has pretty good takedown defense. He's got good jiu-jitsu on the feet. He's careful. He sets up shots. He can close distance really well. He's got a good chin. He's certainly battle-tested. I would favor Patricio slightly more. What like if what, what what do you think that Boric does? And again, we'll get to the X's and O's on Friday. But like, what's one thing that you think Boric does well that would give Patricio problems? Well, just when you look at their natural difference in size, his ability to kickbox from distance and and be a threat for a type of fight changing strike is got to be looked at closely here. He's young, he's aggressive, and since that submission loss to Darian Caldwell in the in the uh, featherweight tournament, which which really was disastrous upon inst- you know upon happening, the four straight wins have included a three round decision over Jeremy Kennedy, who's a tough out, and then going five rounds with Mads Burnell. Luke is his striking uh, you know on the same level of his ground game? No, but you're watching video here of strong top game. He's he's a very strong fighter. He's really starting to add tools and confidence left and right. He's been. You know, with a with a big team since the beginning down there at Sanford MMA or Kill Cliff now or Hard Knocks, Black Zillions, look whatever you want to call it. All right, there he's he seems like on this win streak that he's ready. So I think the question you have to ask yourself is Pitbull's age at thirty five and the potential motivation is he walking into either maybe his last fight, maybe a potential trap fight. Uh, he's five foot six, Pitbull with a sixty five and a half inch reach. Let's compare that to Boric, who's 5'11", with a 70-and-a-half-inch reach. So the Mm. obvious easy answer, Luke, is the length, the size, the ability to be a dangerous kickboxer from distance. But if this starts going places on the ground in the clinch, you're going to have to watch out for Pitbull's guillotine. You're going to have to watch out for the the veteran being 
gritty as shit and basically a completely well-rounded fighter. I'm just wondering if within these circumstances and the fact that Boric is rising right now, we're looking at a very close fight. The odds say yes. And Luke, it can't be looked past that there is a weird scenario with this card. It's in AJ McKee's backyard, so it's almost like this make good off of his close loss to Pitbull in the rematch. But he is fighting Spike Carlisle a, a division up, and we'll preview that in a second. We don't really know. Is AJ going to go back down to 145 one more time to seek a trilogy if Pitbull wins on Saturday? Is he going to go after a different division title instead where, where Patriki has it and will be fighting Usman Nurmagomedov coming up at, at lightweight? We don't really know. I don't think he really knows. I wonder if all this uncertainty is kind of weird for Pitbull, walking into like his rival's backyard but not fighting him but having a really, really tough challenge in front of him. It's going to be interesting theater come Saturday night. As you mentioned, A.J. McKee in that co-main event. Now, he did tell us, BC, in our room service diaries, he would go back to 145 at least one more time if it meant fighting Patricio to beat him. But the fight on Saturday is not at 145. It's at 155, which will be his 155 debut. He takes on former, or I should say, UFC veteran Spike Carlisle. Now, the odds are wide on this, but even then, I think they probably should be a little bit wider. you got A.J. McKee. Uh, up and above at some places nearly a minus 500 spark carlisle about a plus 300 plus 320 in some places bc i i listen spark spike carlisle is a very good athlete very strong um you know very athletic but he is a spaz and if you're as good and as careful as aj mckee there's really no good reason why you should lose this fight right right so in some in some ways if all things go perfect this is the perfect setup showcase opportunity. It kind of reminds me of Michael Venom Page against David Caveman Rickles. Like, this is the proper setup for AJ to have a spectacular comeback win, remind everybody of, he is, of who he is. Spike Carlisle is wild. He's TV friendly. But the odds tell you in terms of comparison and skill what this could or should be. But how about what this has the potential of maybe being? This is AJ's move up for the first time, as you mentioned, to a new division. And he was very honest, both with us on Room Service Diaries, also with Ariel, about what he calls a complete mental breakdown in the aftermath of that loss in the rematch to Pipple. What we found out from talking to him was that he really put stock in the idea of living up to what he's called himself, the Mayweather of MMA. He wanted to go unbeaten like Habib as long as he could. That got taken away from him. I feel in, in talking to him, Luke, I wouldn't say he's lost right now mentally, I would say though that he's figuring it out in the moment. Does this does this have the potential to be a spinning incredible highlight reel finish and then call out Pipple? Yeah, it does. And the home crowd Long Beach, it's not a bad idea for Bellator to do that. But at the same time, he's got a lot of questions to answer first that he can only answer in training camp in the locker room beforehand on the walk to the cage. I given his talent Luke which is spectacular. And I know a lot of people because of one loss want to start hating on him. That loss is a flip the coin, technical, not much happened type of fight for five rounds. Okay. Like, the, like he didn't, we didn't see him, you know, take a major L in front of our eyes. It was what the judges preferred. But I think a lot of people are coming into, the, into this going, if he doesn't do something spectacular, I want to see if he falls apart. I don't know if this is the right opponent for that type of setup, Luke, but I think AJ has legitimate questions to answer to us in front of our eyes in the cage on Saturday, whether he can get right back dialed in because sometimes guys lose their. Uh, invincibility, and they don't bounce back. It's not as often in MMA where losses are more accepted. But Luke, would you say that you know while your 
refreshingly happy to have heard AJ come so clean about how mentally hard it was to bounce back from that. It also was a little bit eye-opening. It was eye-opening. I didn't think he had taken it that hard. Remember, he, on the night of the rematch, after the fight was over, he was beside himself. He thought he had clearly won it. I, I did not think so. I thought that uh, he had made it close and competitive, but that Patricio was better on that evening, and that's sort of the reality. But you're right, man. He had a ton of stock rise after his first win over Patricio. I mean, he couldn't, he, again, undefeated, spent his entire career in Bellator, so they got him from pro debut to championship, which is, like, you know, very difficult to do, especially for a national, international-level promotion. Then he beats, like, the most storied 145-er in the first round like it's nothing, wins the tournament. I mean, it couldn't have gone better for him in all the ways that it did. And then he has the one loss, and all of a sudden people are, like, ready to write him off, like, oh, it was just a... You just had a good night. You're not that guy. No, he's that guy. He's that guy. But to the point that you raise, if he had that much difficulty, we're going to see if he actually dealt with it correctly. Spike Carlisle is not anyone you can look past. My only point in saying that the odds, as wide as they are, should probably be even wider, which, again, is a different consideration based on betting. But the point being is, you know, AJ at his best, at his best, is just a far superior fighter. MMA is dangerous and crazy, and Spike Carlisle courts that that particular kind of danger. But I I was surprised, as you were, in hearing him talk about it. This will be a, a lesson in how much he has actually found a way to manage some of those difficulties in his life. It's going to be a good, a good opportunity. But by the way, this is like strike force booking, and I don't say that pejoratively. I say that correctly. He He's moving to a new weight class. You're trying to see where his head is at, all that stuff. Let's give him a fight that he should be able to win against someone who is dangerous and action-oriented. You see this in boxing all the time. Yeah. I actually don't mind this matchmaking at all. People, I, I saw some folks like, you know, being upset with with this being a, a, a one-sided fight for McKee. Yeah, it is one-sided, but it's not so one-sided that it's egregious. Not at all. And this is exactly what you want for one of your top talents who's going through a little bit as he adjusts to a new weight class and a new situation. And if you're wondering, oh, you know, did he push Bellator to give him a perceived soft matchup. No, he told us on the couch that he would have preferred Benson Henderson at, to make a lightweight debut against. He asked for it, knowing how good they would match up and, you know, the, his, the history of a legend against the up-and-comer. But let's put a little bit of respect back on Spike Carlisle's name. Luke, we, we know him from being the alpha ginger, from fighting like a spaz, and from going one and two in three memorable appearances during the peak 2020 pandemic for the UFC he beat Elon Cruz and then suffered decision defeats to Billy Q and then Bill Algeo. But, Luke, five straight wins since then, one in LFA, one in Cage Warriors, one in Bally's Fight Night, one in Bellator, and then most recently in Risen. Hey, he's put it together. He's put his best foot forward. He's going to be hungry. I'm wondering what we're going to end the night talking about following these two fights. Obviously, it's more dependent upon who wins and does Patricio defend his title. But are we most likely headed towards Patricio and AJ face-to-face in the cage to close this card, almost like in pro wrestling fashion, to set the stage for an inevitable trilogy? I don't know, Luke. You got well, you got, uh, you got, got McKee saying just as well, hey, maybe I'll fight the winner of Usman versus Patricio. Well, here's the other component here, which is the third fight on the card that is deserving of some attention. Namely, Aaron Pico is on this card at 145. That's why I bring this up taking on Jeremy Kennedy. And you mentioned Kennedy being a tough out. Again, the odds on this one 
Uh, let me see. They've got Pico as a wide favorite. I got to tell you, I understand him being the favorite. I suspect that he will win. Obviously, Pico going down, training with Brandon Gibson and the folks at Jackson Wink has been great since, in fact, the Boric loss, which is all the way back in 2019. And in his last fights, the last two fights against Justin Gonzalez and uh, Adley Edwards, he's looked amazing. Jeremy Kennedy is a is probably the biggest step up in competition since he fought Boric. I really think that that's the fairest thing to say. Jeremy Kennedy is a good fighter, obviously trains with extreme couture. He's Canadian. He's had some losses, obviously, to Adam Boric himself and some other folks, but he's got wins in the PFL. He's got, he obviously, he used to compete in UFC and had, you know, he lost to Volkanovsky, big deal. Um, he's got some wins over Kyle Bokniak and Hani Jason. This is a good fighter. This is a talented guy. He can wrestle a little bit. He can survive bad, bad places. He's a veteran. He's got a record, I think, was it 17-3, and three, something like that? Let me double-check here. Yeah, he's got 20 pro fights. This is not some wet-behind-the-ears dude they just found in some small gym in the middle of flyover America. No, 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 no. This guy trains with a good team, has fought in big promotions, has fought the best, and yes, he doesn't have the kind of signature win that might make you really fearful for Pico's chances, but let's be very clear about this, BC. Would you agree since losing to Adam Boric, Jeremy Kennedy is by far the toughest challenge that a guy like Pico has faced. Yeah, this is step-up time for Pico. He's 6-0 and since that most recent string of defeats. He's done the right things, as you mentioned, going to Jackson Wink. But I think even more than moving to, you know, moving his camp, Luke, he's moved his life. He's regularly on the farm with his absolutely well-endowed horse. We know that story, Luke. But I think he's quieted his lifestyle. It was hard to live up to those absurd, you know, the biggest prospect in MMA history comparisons while still a teenager. He had a very aggressive dad that was pushing him, you know, business-wise to get into fights, you know, even in a division he shouldn't have been for his, his debut there at lightweight in which he lost. He's ready now to fight legitimately ranked guys to get in position to fight for his first Bellator title. It's time. Six wins in a row. Some of those have been devastating and destructive. But most importantly, He's recommitted to the wrestling and, and not leaving his chin out there as much. He, Luke, he could be a headhunter. He's got great boxing ability. I've always said, like, if, if Pico's problem was, like, he's almost too good in every category where he got too much in love with, with his boxing and, and his ability to knock people out, that he got caught. He has changed. Jeremy Kennedy is, without question, the first fight on this next level of matchmaking, where we did six in a row at slow-paced, and I'll give Bellator credit, pushed him fast to begin with, pulled it back, slow-paced. But Jeremy Kennedy in his last six is 4-1. and one. Yes, the loss to Boric. There's another fight that he won that got overturned to a no contest. It was a submission win where he failed the drug test. But overall, this is a fighter who's found his avenue in Bellator to find out how good he can be. I love the challenge and what it means for Pico. Luke, Pico's still just 26. If this is the beginning of a sped-up level of matchmaking, how sped up should it be if he gets the win here as a 6-1 to one betting favorite? Well, I'll say this. If he beats Kennedy, which I expect him to do, although I do think he's going to have to work for it, to be quite clear, I would not rush him to a title shot. That doesn't mean that they won't. Right, I mean, he's near the top of the card. He's just under the co-main. He is the only other 145-pound fighter and fight, excuse me, on this main card. And so, for that reason, you can't ever really discount what that could happen, what that could do. I'll say this: if he goes in there and blows the doors off of Jeremy Kennedy, they might just make a title fight. To be quite honest with you, especially by the way, if there's some kind of upset and you can do like a Boric rematch, because remember, Boric again is the last person to hand Aaron Pico a loss. There's something that could happen there. So there are some ways where they could. But I would say, I agree with what you said. 
this should be the first guy in that next level step up. Like, okay, here's the no bullshit time. You know, here is the time where you really got to show us what you can do at the upper end of our featherweight division. This is a great guy to get that tested against. So it depends on a few factors, obviously, as it always does in MMA. But I would say more than likely, not the kind of fight that should or could lead to a title shot. But one never knows. Wow. Exciting time. Seriously, right now in the Bellator featherweight division, that Grand Prix was was well booked, you know, in terms of the who was in it and the initial matchups. And now we have this potential of a very good Pitbull Boric title fight. The possibility of Pitbull wins and, and still stays around of a McKee trilogy or what you mentioned. Could Aaron Pico crash the party given his history with Boric if both win? This is this is going to be fun to, to figure it all out for sure. Bellator uh, in, a, in a nice groove here at this moment, Luke. I'm looking forward to this fight on Saturday. Dude, I like- there's a ton. I got to say, like, there's a ton of good fights up and down this card. For example, we have to get going, but at 135, Juan Archuleta taking on Enrique Barzola. That's a banger. Islam Mamadov, who had the l- recent close loss to Benson Henderson, taking on Nick Brown. Nick Brown, 13-1, and one, hasn't lost since 2017. He's the guy who beat and stopped Rat Garbage in his last fight. And by the way, BC, remember the big controversial s- situation surrounding Max Roshkopf? He is now in Bellator, taking on Mike Hamill, another collegiate wrestler turned MMA fighter. Plus, you've got... Uh, the the New Zealand zone, J.J. Wilson's back on this card. Lance Gibson Jr.'s on this card. Dude, there's a ton of really good fights on this one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it right there, and there's a lot of interesting scenarios that are going to come off of this. Uh, you know, I like when Bellator goes Saturday, and they go hard in the paint, Luke, okay? This feels a little, I wouldn't say tent, would you say this feels tent pole-ish? You know, Scott likes that that term, right? Yeah, it's tent pole-ish. I mean, it's listen, title fight at the top, right? Um, great co-main. Yeah, it's tentpole-ish. You don't have another big... The problem is you've got the Pitbull and McKee thing, even though they're in separate bouts. They're kind of like co-paired together as... Or I should say, I should say just paired together as kind of like a... If Pico was a bigger star, like, and this was a much more meaningful fight, or if there was another title fight, or this was like a tourney fight on this one... I'd say tentpole. I'd say it's just under tentpole. Just under Did you tentpole. see that picture that Brett Okamoto of ESPN posted of uh, Aaron Pico shirtless flexing, Luke? He is he just... He is fucking shredded. Yeah. Just. I mean, like like Stallone and Rocky Four level shredded. It's just like, damn, right? I mean, good Lord. He's coming. Yeah, He's coming it's on. amazing. Uh, all right. So we move now to one, and there's a lot going on with one. So let me be clear about this. They have two different cards this weekend now the only one that really matters for not only matters but the one that more specifically matters is not the one that will be tomorrow morning which is one 161 the one we're talking about and we get the name right here is these are just terrible names one on prime video two now of course this is (laughs) going to be the one that airs on amazon this will be at friday 8 p.m in the east it's an interesting card bc headlined by a rubber match for their flyweight championship uh it's i'm not sure that's right maybe it's adam wait let me double check this one because i know previously it was adam but uh you've got shong jing nan I'm, I'm sure i'm saying these names fucked up against angela lee now lee lost to her the first time had a back and forth pretty close fight in the second fight but then managed to get the back and choke her out in the towards the end of the fifth round in their rematch that's headlining this contest Level of enthusiasm for this card for one on uh, Amazon and this particular main event. Look, does this have the 
particularly American star power of their first one on Amazon with DJ looking to avenge a stoppage loss and win a title. It doesn't. But I'm I'm going to go into this with with decently high expectations for for the broadcast, the presentation Friday, and also this main event, Luke, a trilogy as you mentioned, and Angela Lee, who's now 26. Wasn't she the youngest female champion when she won that Adam Adam Weight belt a long time ago, Luke? That we've yes, seen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still the Adam Weight champion, but now she'll be fighting for the one strawweight championship in this trilogy. Uh, very good fight in the main event. I don't know a ton about Angela Lee. I've watched from more from a distance. This will give me, as in my growing one fandom, and, and, and the more I take notice as they continue closer to this US full U.S. expansion. Uh, yeah, I'm interested. I'll watch it. Am I deep on the backstories? No, Luke, but I'm hoping to learn as I tune in. So maybe for me, the casual American fan, not too tied in on one, maybe this will be more of the hardcore variety that gets me. I mean, are, are there, would you say, uh, a handful of fights I should care about on here? Yeah, I would say between the two cards, there's a lot to like. It's interesting that they went with the way that they went. So, for example, that that rubber match, and by the way, the first two fights, I think it's certainly the, I think they're both available on YouTube if you want to check them out. They're both pretty good. And by the way, it is the strawweight. Obviously, that you know they go up a weight class with everything, but it's a strawweight championship. Anyway, neither here nor there. In your co-main, it's actually a kickboxing bout at 155 pounds between Superbon and Tafun. I'm I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. He's from Turkey. Uh, Ozkin, I'm sure it's like Ozkin or however you say it. Like maybe it was like Ozil, Ozil. Anyway, uh, the the player Superbon is uh, an amazing, uh, obviously kickboxing and Muay Thai fighter. He's got wins over Mark Gregorian, Georgia Petrosian, who he head kick stopped in the second round. Uh, Sidichai, he's got two wins back to back over him. So that's an interesting one. Then in your like feature fight, it's a pro grappling bout between one of the only Americans to ever win the world championship in jiu-jitsu, Mikey Musumeci, one of the, the he has a sister who, by the way, is an amazing grappler as well, taking on Kleber Sosa. So remember they had Bushesha in their opener on one on prime, albeit in an MMA vid- fight, but you know, they're trying to bring in some Americans in some different contexts. So this is to me really the challenge for one BC. I've said this before. Outside of the UFC, one is clearly the most different product that is available to consumers of MMA, right? PFL does the tournament thing, and Bellator's got a really good roster, but those are still largely just sort of American. It's not, they're more than American, but they're just, they feel like a lot like what the UFC offers, albeit packaged in slightly different ways. With one, they've got a very different product. They've got pro grappling, kickboxing, Muay Thai. There is a difference between them. And obviously MMA, they go men and, men and women as well. And, um, you know, they've got a different level of, and way of presenting it. But I wonder, BC, and this is the thing. Yes, here's the good news. If you're one, you have a clearly different product than the UFC. No doubt about it. But is it so different that it ends up being unpalatable to an American audience? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to knock anything on this card. It's not the best card. It's not the worst card. There's some good stuff on it for sure. But for, if you're an American MMA fan, there's virtually nothing on this card that immediately grabs you or that you really even... How many MMA fans even know who Mikey Musumeci is? In the jiu-jitsu world, he's a big name. Please make no mistake about it. And again, I'm not knocking the quality of fights or fighters, especially on the kickboxing or Muay Thai side. I'm just saying how relevant is that to the American sporting audience? Not very. That makes them, a, that yeah. is what they're trying, a big challenge. 
Absolutely. And, and Angela Lee there in that main event is part of the Fighting Lee family. Luke, a reminder that her brother Christian is the current one lightweight champion. Her younger sister, Victoria, just made her debut in MMA at age 16 in 2021. And to, to finalize the backstory on this trilogy, I wanted to get it right, Luke. Lee lost their first fight in 2019 for yes. non-strawweight title. They rematched later that year, one division lower for Lee's Adam Way title, and she submitted her and won. Correct. Then Lee took two and a half years off, came back and beat Stamp Fairtax earlier this year. Stamps on this card as well. Now they're doing the trilogy bout also in the higher weight class at uh, strawweight. So Angela Lee, who has been the in many ways, the female face of what one is doing and trying to get more American attention from British Columbia, despite uh, being of Asian descent there, Luke. Uh, this is going to be an opportunity for her to become a two-division champion in the main event. So, that, you know, for the American hook, that's probably your your biggest story. But, you know, I'll be watching My Mikey Bustamenti or whatever the hell you called the other guy, too. Okay? Bustamenti. Uh, by yeah. the way, also on this card, Stamp Fairtex is on this card in a 115-pound bout. Um, the other one, of course, uh, Marat Gregorian is on this card in a pro kickboxing bout against Jamal Yusupov, which is interesting. The other one that did capture my attention is Timothy Nastyukin. You might remember, this is the guy that Eddie Alvarez made his debut against and got demolished. Timothy Nastyukin is not the best, um, you know, 155 or 170, well, you know, 170 fighter on the planet, but he is quite good beating Eddie Alvarez, as I mentioned, and some other folks. He is writing a two-fight losing streak. He takes on an interesting sort of rising prospect in Halil Amir out of Turkey, who, as I mentioned, is undefeated. This is going to be his one debut. So we'll see exactly how good he is. That's one to pay attention to. But this is what I mean. This is a product that if you're just measuring quality, it's got a lot of value to it. I, I really believe it's, it's, it's distinct, maybe too distinct for the American appetite. I guess we shall see. I don't yeah. want to lose sight very quickly, very quickly if I can. For the other card, one championship, 161, uh, Pet Morakot taking on Tawanchai, or Tawanchai, however you pronounce it, the Muay Thai bout, their 155 championship. Pet Morakot coming off a win over the Frenchman, uh, Jimmy Viano. I thought Jimmy won that one, but by the way, I bring this up to say, BC, that Pet Morakot has done a ton of actual pro boxing, and in his last fight, which was a title defense, which he won via split decision, he was getting tuned up a little bit at kickboxing distance, so he would close it and then work with the hands, and that actually is what changed the fight for him, getting a knockdown, I think, in the third or fourth round of that bout. So there is value. That will be, I think, at like, what's the time, the start time for that? 6.30 a.m. on Thursday, 1 on Prime Video 2, 8 p.m. on Friday, just to be clear about that. All right, I'm Prime. Uh, and there's going to be their heavyweight uh, semifinal Grand Prix uh, tournament in kickboxing as well on that card. And so. that guy, Nat Steyukin, that you talked about, he got knocked out in a minute by uh, Christian Lee, the, the current lightweight champion. So uh, he's yes. got to bounce yes, back from a two-fight skid, Luke. All right, I'm, I, look, I, in the moment, I'm being real with you. In the moment, I'm getting tuned up here on one. Okay, Luke? It's going to take some time. It's, it's, it's different. That's what I mean. It's different. I think if you're a hardcore MMA fan, you might be hearing what I'm saying and being like, oh, this is crazy. Let me explain to you. Turn on, this is just a great gauge. Turn on your local sports uh, radio station and listen to what they talk about. They're only going to talk about high-level UFC stuff, UFC pay-per-views. You might get some other small stuff sprinkled in, and that's really about it. Hardcore fans are very distinct from that. But they don't understand that the largest portion of the MMA fan base are casual fans. And casual fans, do they have an appetite for Stamp Fairtex versus Jihin Radzuin? You know, I don't know. I tend to think they probably don't. And so while I do really appreciate if you're a hardcore fan, one is kind of a delight. 
But they got their work cut out for them in trying to get all of these weird names and and I say weird again, unaccustomed to the American audience with with different rules and all kinds of stuff. The product is dynamic. How sellable that product is to the American audience remains to be seen. I know what some people might be saying. Oh well, I'm Canadian. I'm Brit. I'm French or whatever. I don't care about that stuff, right? But the whole goal of being on Amazon the way that they are in hiring who, the who, our, our our colleague from CBS Sports who they hired the commentator Brett Brent Stover Stover, right? The whole idea is to actually break into this market. They want to bring a show to this market. You know, it's gonna take some. It's gonna take some work. It's gonna take a little bit of luck too, if we're being honest. Uh, all right, topic number four, BC. Dana White, UFC president, went on Tucker Carlson. Now, you sent me this clip, although I saw it all over Twitter as well. Basically, goes in there. Apparently, Tucker Carlson, by the way, the top-rated cable news show uh, out there, independent of channel, although I wouldn't recommend watching any cable news of any variety whatsoever. He goes on there and does a lot, which is taking a victory lap over COVID, which is just hilarious. People's amnesia on COVID drives me up the wall. But we have a little bit of a clip we'd like to react to. Um, let's let's play the clip and then we'll set this whole thing up. That's what the media does. Media does nothing. They 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 never built anything. Uh, nobody depends on them for a paycheck. But all they do is sit back and criticize. I'm going to kill people. I care more about money than I do human life. I, I heard it all. And, and and the New York Times, as you can imagine, was was blasting me daily. Because you were trying to keep your employees paid and fed and keep your business going. Right, because you're, you're, you're trying to figure out solutions to problems. You're trying to, you know, everybody felt like it was this narrative during COVID that if you didn't run and hide, you were reckless. You were a monster. You didn't care about other people. Uh, and the list goes on and on. So how did you take yeah, that they criticism? Were they, they, they were working. working. Good fuck. They were writing they stories every day. Yeah, these guys had nothing to worry about. They were writing horror stories every day, and they were all working. All right, Luke. I mean, uh, I mean the am- the amnesia here, the gaslighting is just outrageous. Because the people that don't like us are waiting to go, oh, BC and Luke, once again, you're going to do a victory lap on being in that stupid four-minute video and getting your negative close-up. Here's what sucks about this situation and Dana's misgrasp on properly framing what really happened is he deserves a ton of credit which he received from all of us once we got past the freaking tachi palace incident but whether it's making that four minute video or now these post romanticized speeches of what really happened it's always well the media hasn't done anything they're scumbags well first of all the media also helped build the ufc let's not act like they didn't right like when the UFC wanted media help in promoting them and Dana used to go to newspapers and knock on the door and really try to like say, hey, look, you got to cover our sport. Media started to cover the sport. Like what they saw, they stuck with it. Number two, the media's job is to criticize. They're to be that independent voice, you know, that sort of sits in the middle, asks the tough questions. It's what it is at the end of the day, okay? You're not going to get a million uh, you know, you're not going to get everybody to act like UFC wants them to act like, which is come in there, don't ask the hard question, smile, and get big page views for the company. But most importantly, it's just a misrepresentation of what actually happened. When Dana was going to go away from the state commissions, 
with the state of California Correct. directly saying, do not put this fight card on. It's not safe. We will not back you and support you. And Dana's saying, well, we don't need you. We'll just go to Tachi Palace on Native American Correct. ground. And they'll say yes. And it went all the way up the chain to Disney reportedly picking up the phone and saying, stand down. That's not on us. That's on you. But what you've done after that, Dana, has not only been completely commendable, it's not only allowed us, the fighters, the UFC staff, to stay regularly employed, focusing on the bigger topics. I mean, heck, Luke, you remember Prime Pandemic, when UFC was the only game in town, they were sending me down to the CBS Sports Studio every Saturday night doing like a half-hour UFC post-game show after these pay-per-views. I mean, in those times, what did we do? Every time we're on a microphone, we were saying... Wow, Dana White does deserve, you know, man of the year consideration or whatever you want to give him for fighting through, doing it safely, and making sure the show will go on. But let's also realize he wasn't making sure the show will go on 100% out of this Robin Hood spirit where he doesn't want anybody not to work. He can't get the $750 million ESPN deal unless he meets the minimum number of shows. So it's all connected at the end of the day. But to constantly play this these scumbags were after us and all they did was question me and try to take me down. Tachi Palace? Yes, we did. You were reckless. After that, when you got actual state commission and real testing involved and did it not only the right way, you were ahead of the game and how you did everything. We have praised you, okay? We lived yeah. through, I'm acquiring an island. We lived through that. We're still here. We love you in that regard, Dana. But it's not our jobs to fucking love you. It's our jobs to ask the bad and tough questions that you hate hearing. Because that's real life. Accountability. What the fuck are we talking about? This is what it is. Dude, this is this is what tells you everything you need to know about his arguments on COVID. He can't make an argument about the COVID record, honestly. And that's true about that video he put out where you got butchered in it and a lot of other people, too. For whatever reason, I uh, managed to avoid any of that, I don't, I don't quite understand the situation there, but it doesn't matter. The point being is, if you want to make an argument about your record, make an argument about the record. I'll happily make one about mine. All of this is on my personal YouTube channel. I encourage everyone, listen to what I am saying. I encourage everyone to go back and look. And what was I waiting for? I, my view the entire time was, it will be safe to return when a state athletic commission is able to actually regulate this through that era, which happened through Florida, and around, what was it, May of 2020. That was my argument. I had people blowing me up yesterday being like, well, you would have shut UFC down for a year. No, I am on the record as saying it will be safe to return when a commission can safely regulate this. And Florida, of course, is a little bit of a, you know, sock puppet commission in that sense. But nevertheless, the state was on the line for that and they did it. And that was the effort. And you'll recall, by the way, that when they were going to Tachi Palace before it all fell apart, was Dana White did an interview saying, well, we had figured it out. We got we got all figured out. We got treadmills in everyone's room. No, you didn't. The UFC did not figure it out. Yes, they had consulted with doctors. I'm sure. I'm sure that they thought they had figured it out, but it wasn't. In fact, the regulations they were going to use for that were not actually the regulations that, for example, Nevada was put, putting into place, which were much stricter about all different manner of things. This is the record. Stand on your record. I will stand on mine. It's not that hard to do. Wait until the commissions can safely do it. Do not run around regulation inside United States territory in order to do that, which they tried, which, as you indicated, Disney shut down. That's the record. Be honest about the record. The record is exonerating on this end of things. And to your point, you're right. When they hit the, the fight island, they were off to the races. God bless them. They put that all together, and it was a great boon. 
for us. It was a great boon for the industry. But it is so the consistent, the common denominator, the consistent thread between that video and this interview is they cannot make the argument honestly about what actually happened. And if that doesn't tell you the story, I really don't know what does. I, right. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that the media deserves a pat on the back. I, I don't really believe that, and I don't really want to get into that. The only thing that just drives me nuts is that everyone has amnesia about what the actual record is. Right. Let's set the record straight. And look, if he wants to get mad at the mainstream media that do not cover MMA, who only covered it to jump in and shit on him, he can get mad at all he wants. I'm not going to yeah, fight fine. that, Luke. Okay, but like... It, it's it's like, look, what was the scumbag MMA media during the Tachi Palace episode trying to do? Protect the fighters and the UFC employees with their protect voice. The, That's all we were trying the, to no, do. Protect the industry. Dude, going inside United States territories when commissions were explicitly saying we're not going to regulate this, we don't think it's safe, and then to go to Tachi Palace around that, that's not good for MMA. I don't give yeah. a shit what anybody says. That's bad for MMA. So if we spoke up about that and that ruffled feathers, I don't know what to tell you. That's the job of media. It's just like, look, the job of media is to do both. Praise you when you deserve it, can criticize it, or even condemn you when you don't. That's what it is. But, Luke, this Tucker Carlson thing got a little bit deeper when they announced not just that interview inside the Octagon, but Tucker Carlson Originals, which is a company that does documentaries on the Fox Nation subscription streaming service, is now doing a Dana White COVID documentary. But before I get your reaction to that, here are the other topics that Tucker Carlson originals have done documentaries on. Kid Rock, cattle mutilation, UFOs, January 6th insurrection, and testicle tanning. So we will add Dana White to that list. Luke, I'm sure you didn't watch that UFC-produced anniversary documentary they did praising Donald Trump's history of being for the brand. And by the way, it's true. He has historically been for the brand and was a key early cog in helping them. Um, What would it get? What would it take to get you to watch this Tucker Carlson, Dana COVID doc? Thousand dollars cash. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch. I'll be very clear about that. Dude, I've said this from day one and I stand by it as a leader, as a maverick, Obviously, Dana White's got a great track record. Look at the success as a fearless businessman. I think one day he's going to pull this all together and run for governor of Nevada and see if he can take it even further. Do you get that feel, Luke? I feel like Trump winning the presidency six years ago changed a lot of the rules and expectations of who can make crazy runs at something. I, I ne- I'm never going to count out Dana going into the political sphere. Do you see that coming ever? I hadn't thought about that, but that's not a, I don't think that's a crazy thought. You know, I don't know if he wants that kind of headache. Um, It's very easy to, okay, it's not easy to be the head of a major company in the way that he is. I'm sure it's insanely difficult, but you have a certain degree of latitude in terms of what rules you can make and what, how quickly people have to respond to what you say versus working through the machine of government, which is a whole different business. Um, I don't know if he wants that kind of a headache, but, but do I think he could assemble a run potentially? Um... And be more successful than like the sort of ham-fisted attempts of Tito and, and or BJ Penn. Sure, sure, I, I would imagine that. And by the way, I mean he's got, you know, he had. I, I, I'll listen. Let's defend Dana. Where it's right to defend him, he has in certain ways. Obviously, he spoke in favor of Trump. If that's a thing that you like, he also had, you know, uh, relationships with important uh, uh, politicians on the other side of the, of the political aisle. Harry Reid being one of them. Obviously, a guy from Nevada, but nevertheless. 
you know, it's not like he's been one-sided in that way. So he could potentially pull from a broad swath of an audience. I mean, these these are, I'm merely speculating here, but to that point, the UFC has tried to make sure that they had a lot of irons in the fire in a lot of different political directions. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but, you know, uh, this whole thing where everyone wants to rewrite the record because after they went to the commissions, all of a sudden everything started working well again. Great. I, who the hell would have a problem with that? It was everything before that that we all had a problem with. That's the issue. That's the record. Let's be extremely clear about that. And by all means, please fact check. I don't have any issue with anyone doing that. All right. All right. Very good. good Moving stuff. on from that. Uh, last but not least, definitely not least, here is a really interesting situation. I think we got some tweets from Aaron Bronstetter, our friend Abron, Lebron over in uh, Canada. There's a weird thing going on with Conor McGregor and USADA. Pull up the tweets if we can. This is what Aaron says. Quote, after cross-referencing the entire... I, I can't... Pull, pull, go full screen on this if you can for just a second. I want to read this off the screen if I can. After cross-referencing the entire active UFC roster with USADA's athlete test history database, I found that Conor McGregor was the lone active fighter, uh, aside from athletes who signed, for example, after August 1st, to not be tested by USADA. I think we have another tweet or two if you want to put that up here real quickly. Let's take a look at it. Uh... According to the UFC's anti-doping policy, the only way McGregor would be exempt from testing would be if his UFC contract was terminated or he was provided the U- or excuse me, or he provided the UFC with a written notice that he was retiring. But as he notes, he is currently ranked 11th and is uh, in the lightweight rankings and to our knowledge has not re- uh, retired. By the way, there's a little bit more to it than just that. There was a, a statement from USADA. Let me read this here. This is just a part of the statement that USADA gave to Aaron Bronstetter, quote, unless they, that's the UFC notify, excuse me, unless they notify the UFC their retirement, their contract is terminated, or they otherwise removed from the program, there's language in there, then of course they would be tested. Listen to that. Or they otherwise were removed from the program. BC, what is otherwise removed from the program? Here's my question about this. I'd love to get an answer. Why can't we get a straight answer about this from USADA, right? The whole idea about anti-doping is that we're the adults in the room. And if you're going to be the adults in the room and you've got this database where you can see who was tested, how many times, and what kind of uh, quadrant of the year, right? Why can't they give a straight answer? And what the fuck does it mean otherwise removed from the program? Does that mean there's actually another carve-out that exists that they haven't mentioned, where you're not retired, you haven't been moved from the, from the rankings or the way in which he had indicated with the previous tweet, but you could still not be part of the testing program and still be active on the roster. Is there another carve-out? And if so, why aren't we being told about this? What what, what do you make of this whole situation? Uh, yeah. All right. Um, Luke, I do always want to remind when talking about USADA in general that USADA was in boxing before it came to the UFC. And Thomas Hauser, the Boxing Hall of Fame writer, has done extensive research behind the scenes on USADA's history in boxing, in which, you know, hundreds or thousands, whatever the amount of tests that they did over almost a decade time as the preferred go-to testing body in major boxing, one positive test came through. Eric Morales against Danny Garcia in their rematch in 2012. And it was only because it got leaked and pushed. And oh, by the way, even though Morales failed both of his samples for clenbuterol, 
you were still allowed to fight that weekend. Um, so if you come from boxing like I do, you never had a ton of respect for USADA being overly legitimate. In fact, promoters went out of their way to use USADA rather than the cheaper VADA at the time, which was an independent voluntary situation with 24-7 testing that did deeper testing. So you use that as the foundation, and then you go over UFC's history with USADA, during which, Luke, it seemed like a strategic hire to join up to remove the reputation of people using it within the sport, maybe ahead of the big sale in 2016, or just at least to provide them with a, well, hey, we tested them and USADA's legit. You know, it's not our fault type of response if they need it. I get that. But we've already seen them, Luke, do somewhat unprecedented moves like move the John Jones Gustafson rematch during Christmas week to another state and then change the ruling where positive tests are no longer going to go public. So the whole picogram thing could be going on with every fighter on the card and we wouldn't even notice. And oh, by the way, you remember in 2016 when Brock Lesnar was going to come back at UFC 200 and the UFC and USADA waived that rule that said you had to be in the testing pool for six months before coming back. So why doesn't Connor, why does Connor have different circumstances? Why are more and more of these things being pushed, you know, under cloak and dagger? You tell me, Luke. Okay. You tell me. Uh, I want to read that statement one more time because I kind of butchered it a little bit here. Here's the full one. I'm going to answer your question. Once UFC athletes are enrolled in the testing program, they are subject to testing even when not competing. By the way, Chris Weidman's not competing. He's been tested four times. Unless they notify the UFC of their retirement, their contract is terminated, or they otherwise are removed from the program. What the fuck does that last one mean? Otherwise, well, Okay, what would it mean to be otherwise removed if your contract's not terminated and you've not indicated you want to retire? Maybe it means this is you're a whole... celebrity who's been in the weight room like crazy lately, posing in front right. of a mirror with a phone. This sounds like I'm going after Conor McGregor. I don't give a shit what Conor McGregor does. Like, what, whatever he wants to do in yeah. his off time. Spoiler alert. Luke would approve him using right now. Spoiler yeah, alert. I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. I think largely this is all kabuki theater, and people have been led to believe a bunch of Nancy Reagan war on drugs bullshit. And by the way, I've had people write me being like, I'm so tired of hearing your views. Boy, if you're tired of hearing my views, you should know how I feel where I have to hear this inundated fucking tsunami every day of clean sport and dirty sport. And we're after, you know, we're trying to take care of sport. What a fucking bunch of nonsense that I'm subjected to over and over and over and over again. Here's what it comes down to. USADA needs to say whether or not carve-outs specifically exist outside of contract termination, outside of retirement, and whether or not Conor McGregor is part of that. This whole bullshit, we don't comment on the testing pool status of any particular athlete. What a fucking dodge. You need to be, if you want anybody to trust this bullshit, and I want to be very clear, I do not. I do not, but for all of the suckers out there who bought into this nonsense, they are owed, at a bare minimum, a degree of transparency. Are there carve-outs? By what means do they happen? Are you just making it up as you go? I want to put that out there. Yeah, I think the latter's correct. I think some of it is making it up as you go. All I'm saying is it's not a good look. We're not trying to you know, bring down any ships. We're trying to be the media. But, Luke, we have a transition to make here. Our Take guest star is ready. Take us in. Take Our guest in. star is ready. She'll be main eventing Saturday's UFC finite fight night card in a must-see women's strawweight duel. It's Mackenzie Dern in the house live on Morning Combat. Mackenzie, great to see you. We're, we're figuring out the technical difficulties here. 
in real time. We had her. There she is. There, there she, she is. is. Uh, Mackenzie, hey, how the heck are you heading into, I'm going to say it, maybe the biggest fight of your career? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm ready for this. You know, definitely, um, you know, I'm so happy because after Tisha Torres, my fight with Tisha Torres, I didn't get any injury. And I think for most of the fighters, that's the most like, you know, we don't go into the fight home oh, making sure we don't get hurt. You know, we need to go like prepared for anything, you know, die, kill or be killed, you know. But <laughs> definitely when you leave the fighting, like, okay, I'm not injured. I can get back into training. That's a good feeling, you know. So I was able to kind of come six months training for this fight. Of course, like six months ago, I didn't know who I was going to fight. I didn't know if it would be like Rose Namayunas, um, if Carla would end up fighting Jean Weili, if I'd get like maybe slip into an interim belt there. Um, young Shannon. So I was just training, 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 working on me, working on getting better, my striking, working on being a better, you know, more involved. Um, and yeah, when they closed the fight with Young Shannon, I thought like, okay, she's not too far on the ranks. I'm number five. She's number six. That's good. Um, and from what I saw with Carlos Fars, you know, I thought it was a good matchup for me. You know, of course, she's da- she's dangerous. She has good striking, but it's a good, it's a good step for me. I, I'm definitely excited. We both lost to Marina Rodriguez. We're both kind of uh, right there in the top, you know, top five, top six. So, yeah, I'm excited. This is a big, a big step. Mackenzie, has the UFC said anything to you about what a win here might mean? In other words, have you had any conversations about the distance between where you are right now and a title shot? Uh, No, not with you. Not with the UFC. They haven't said anything like that i mean before this one they had mentioned like um they kind of offered jessica andrade to me for like a short notice in june back in june um it was like june 8 for a a main event but it was too close you know i I wanted some more time and i don't know if they ended up offering to her too and i think they just asked me and then i said no so they didn't get to offer to her but Mm. i think from what they've been saying kind of the idea uh i think after if i get a good dominant win fighting a former champion after this, whether it's Jessica or Rose or maybe the loser of Carla and Zhang Weili would be the next the the next step, you know? Um, but they did say like, hey, would you be interested in fighting in Brazil in January? And I'm like, oh man, that's too close. <laughs> I love Brazil, you know, I've already fought in Rio. But yeah, now I'm just prefer to like train hard and be prepared for whoever my next opponent is. Uh, Mackenzie, you've made it huge growth since we first saw you we know no one can hang with you on the ground but you've really worked on your striking uh how comfortable do you feel now putting your striking game up there against your skills on the ground oh man i mean definitely i don't want to be like okay i'm gonna stay striking with a striker for 25 minutes you know i've been doing jiu-jitsu for 25 years you know so that's that's always going to be where i want to go but I mean, I think the same way some of the strikers probably feel like, OK, I did enough grappling to at least defend myself on the ground from Mackenzie until the round is over so we can stand back up or something, you know, or at least keep the distance enough to, you know, steal the rounds by points. I definitely feel like, OK, if I get to that, that you know, that situation where I can't get them to the ground, um, I can hurt them with my striking. You know, I can win. I can steal the fights from a striker striking, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, Coach Perillo, he's he's the man, you know what I mean? You can see with all the champions he's he's taught. Now it's kind of like me and Cheeto Vera, where we're both almost in the same spot in our career, uh, where we're just, like, really picking up on it. I'm like, 
before I didn't want to be in my opponent's range, you know, I said like, okay, or I'm all the way out or I'm just all the way in and try and, you know, close the distance. Now I realize, hey, I can play at my range, you know, and so even if they're taller fighter, shorter fighter, I can be hurting them with my striking just because now I know what my distance, my range is and feel comfortable there. And um, yeah, it's opening up everything. Just my base and my striking is opening up like my kicks. I'm balanced now. I can throw a kick and come back and be like striking. Um, my takedowns are way better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's my striking is definitely, I think definitely getting close to like, you know, I think I, a UFC champion, you know, level. What about your wrestling? Obviously on the ground, you might be the best grappler in all of UFC, right? I mean, certainly in terms of jujitsu decorations, they don't come much more decorated than you, but getting the takedown has obviously been something of a challenge in adapting to MMA. How do you feel like that's going? Yeah, this camp for three months, I added my wrestling. So I was doing like wrestling three days a week. And before that, I was kind of picking up on because Cheeto Vera and Luke Rockhold, they had camps before me, you know, so I was kind of picking up on their camps, too. So it was it was a really good um, time training and just adding the wrestling. I realized, you know, these girls, they're so like on the defense, you know, and just on guard about the takedown and that even with my hands helping me. You know, if I have a couple options with my takedowns, I like judo, you know, I have a more judo background with my with my dad, me judo black belt and things like that. But wrestling is like, man, you can just chain wrestling and keep going. And I was just at the ADCC a couple like two weeks ago and I competed in the ADCC back in 2015, 2017 and it was so good because I was like watching them. It's like jujitsu guys doing a lot of wrestling. And I'm like seeing so many opportunities like, oh, I just learned that, that wrestling move. Oh, he could have gone there to the high crotch or to the single, you know, and I'm all that just from what my coach Daniel has been teaching me on the wrestling. So I'm definitely way more comfortable. I'm not crashing down when I go to a takedown. You know, I go, they say like your head up, your butt down, you know, so I'm definitely getting more <laughs> technical. And it's you can tell when the more technical you get, the easier it is. You know, before I was like, oh, man, wrestling, my lower back is killing me. Now I'm like, OK, I can do this. Let's go. <laughs> Let me follow up real quickly, if I can, with one other thing about ADCC. There actually was a fair amount of controversy on the women's side in the following way this year. Obviously, ADCC this past year was a big success, but people are now complaining there's only two women's divisions. Now, obviously, you have done well in grappling, but looking back on it, or I guess you know, looking ahead, rather, would you like to see more women's divisions inside of ADCC competition? Um, I mean, I think we're definitely, I mean, ADCC has been around, what, since 1996, I think, so, or maybe 98, but it's been around for a long time, you know, so, I mean, adding, an, I think you could add maybe one more division for the ADCC, but the, I mean, the, the more, I think what's so prestigious about the ADCC is that it's like, not anyone can do it, you know, it's not just, it, back Back then in Abu Dhabi, it was just invitation only, you know, and today it's still like invitation and you have only like a select trials, you know, so I definitely think the women's um, we could add maybe one more division, but I don't think it should be too like, you know, like the men's, you know, like every 10 kilos kind of thing like that. But I mean, the hardest part really is Gabby Garcia, you know, she's just she's <laughs> such a tough fighter, you know, and she's so big that it's like, you know, from the under 60 kilos. When I was fighting, I mean, we had a couple girls that maybe are like, you know, 65, 70 kilos. But, you know, it's like now they lose so much weight and who's fighting underneath the 60 kilos are actually like girls who would be fighting in the bigger division. But, you know, it's easier to go down than it is to fight Gabby Garcia kind of thing. So, I mean, yeah, definitely we've gotten so many more 
girls, so many more tough girls that are like, you know, professional in the sport. I think we could definitely, they could definitely add like one more division, but keep it like still small, you know, maybe eight fighters, you know, in each division, not like a whole bracket. So it's just keep that prestige, that elite level, you know, only the best of the best. Mackenzie, you're still so young and rising, but you were alive and aware when women were not fighting in the UFC. So what do you think was that moment that, you know, you said to yourself, wow, I can go down this path. I can do this. I can be a, you know, MMA world champion at the highest level. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I'm going to say Ronda, of course, you know, Ronda is definitely the one that, you know, so like, oh, dang. So we can make money, you know, people can make money and people know women can make money and live off of just, you know, MMA and look how many like people are watching her, you know, people want to watch and, and seeing the fact that she had like judo takedowns and arm bars, I identified a lot to that, you know, I was like, okay, that's, that's similar to what I do, you know? And, um, I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know, because, you know, her, her personality is a little bit more like forward and tough girl and, and stuff like that. So I'm like, man, I don't know if I can bring, I don't bring that, that, that part to the MMA. So I don't know if many people would want to watch what I do, but the more I realized, hey, you know, Hoyce, who was the first of the UFC, UFC one, jiu-jitsu, you know, and the fact that like I was watching, like, okay, the girls, there's still um a, a weakness in the jiu-jitsu level for the for the MMA, you know. I think for the guys and the girls, you know, but especially especially for the girls because the vision, there's still like few, you know. Um so I was like, okay, I think I can make I can make a statement representing jiu-jitsu, you know, if I can get my submissions there. Um, and then of course the guys, the guys at the gym, they're like, oh, you should do it. You should do it. No one has your jujitsu. Come on. Uh, I announced like I was training and then Sean Shelby called me up right away. Hey, I'll come out to meet you. Let's talk, you know? And, you know, I hadn't even done one MMA fight in my career, you know, but he just, he saw the potential in me and that was kind of like, okay, I'm going to try this. I think I can, I think I can, I can do good, you know? Well, obviously you had a different kind of upbringing where, Jiu-jitsu was such a big part of it, uh, being being close to your father. Are you raising your daughter in the same environment that you kind of grew up in, where it's just jiu-jitsu by day, you know, uh, jiu-jitsu by night, basically? <laughs> Man, I'm trying to. I'm trying to so much, you know. It's crazy because I had her at my phase of MMA fighter, you know what I mean? Not on my jiu-jitsu phase, you know. So she's kind of like, she's more in love with the striking, you know. She wants to, she likes to take that and on bars and things like that she trains jiu-jitsu she rolls at home with me but you know she's there almost every day watching me like punch in the face bloody nose kicking you know uh she comes and tries to correct my my punching technique you know so i'm like <laughs> oh i'm trying to put her in i'm trying to get her into the jiu-jitsu base you know and then she and then she can add on her striking and stuff like that if she wants to be a fighter right you know but I think for sure, definitely, I prefer her to be in the jiu-jitsu. Now I understand my dad, you know, not wanting me to be an MMA fighter, watching your your little girl get punched in the face. It's not good, you know? So I'm I'm like, oh, I don't want to see her get become a fighter. I'm trying to fight so she doesn't have to when she gets older. Right. You know? She can go and be a surfer and, you know, jiu-jitsu fighter, travel the world, you know, lay on the sun, have a good life. But, hey, if she wants to, you know, follow in her mom's footsteps, what, I'm gonna, what am I going to say, right? I'm going to have to just support her and give her the best advice I can give her. Tell me how you think the upcoming title fight in your division is going to go between Carla Esparza and Zhang Weili. Oh, I think Zhang Weili is going to win. 
<laughs> I mean, Carla's a beast, you know, she's, it's just incredible how from the first champion of the strawweight division, you know, with her, with her style, you know, kind of wrestling um, so many years later can just win the title again. And kind of basically with her same style, you know, it says something about that, you know, and everyone knows like, Hey, she's going to take you down. She has her takedowns and they fall into the trap. You know, it's almost like uh Khabib, you know, for the women's division, it's crazy. So, I mean, Carla's just so experienced. She's so good at her at her strategy, at her style, at her game plan. Um, she can put it with any type of person, like a jiu-jitsu fighter, striker. Um, you know, people respect that, you know, of her. But I think Zhang Weili is just just all around a beast. I think for 25 minutes, it's going to be a lot of pressure, especially after that spinning backfist she did with Joanna. I'm like, oh, man. Mm. <laughs> By the way, I, I saw you, you did a, um, like you were telling the world about like some of your favorite things. There's a, there's a MMA media guy who does this thing called Humanizing Athletes. And it said your favorite movie was A Knight's Tale. I got to tell you, I don't hate that movie, but I gave it two thumbs down. How, how, do you, oh, how did that on, one end Luke. up being your favorite movie? Uh, okay, the truth is because I had a huge crush on Heath Ledger. <laughs> he me was, me too. I think, I think we who all did, did it, in fairness. Luke? In fairness. Okay. That was my celebrity crush. Fair enough. Look, there's different kinds of cinematic classics, okay, Luke? Sometimes it could just feel good. All right. Mackenzie Dern, you're, you're a busy woman, but we've got a huge fight. Jan Shaunan, you both have recent defeats to Marina Rodriguez, who may be next in line for the title. What was the biggest takeaway from your loss to Marina that you can apply now in taking one step closer to that title? Um, the biggest takeaway, I mean, I think was just to trust, you know, trust, trust in myself, you know, be confident. You know, I think I was doubting a lot in that fight. You know, I kind of, I think Tisha and Marina, they're both like the two fighters of the strawweight division that move the most, you know, and Marina, especially she's tall for the strawweight division, you know, so she can just stay on the outside and touch you and, you know, touch you and be out, you know, touch you and move and um like now that i felt that and i got away and like now i'm like i said i learned what my own range is um now i feel like okay i can close the distance with anyone now and just i mean seeing how i even with when we did go to the ground with marina um you know i had so many good positions and that's why with this camp i made sure to train a lot of my jiu-jitsu still you know even though i feel like okay my just good but you know i'm the I, I have the best jiu-jitsu, I think, in the strawweight division, you know? So it's like when I go to the ground, I shouldn't be getting back up, you know? I should be finishing the girls there, you know? That's my that's my job, you know? I think it's like when I get to the ground, I need to be finishing. And I got in lots of good positions with Marina, and I let I let it go. Not I didn't let it go, but I let it escape, you know? we She was able to hold off. I didn't finish her before the round was always started back up again, um, like going to the next round. So I'm like, okay. I train. I trained that. I focused on that. And the same with Tisha. You know, those were the biggest things I came off of. That is like, okay, when I get to the ground, the fight needs to be over. You know, no giving, no letting them, no mercy. <laughs> <laughs> the enemy will deserve no mercy, Luke. Okay, you got that right. Yeah. Last one for me here, which would just be in terms of what you thought you were up against when you transitioned into MMA, and now you understand MMA so much better. What's been the biggest? learning lesson in terms of that transition what has been the thing that's been the hardest that you now maybe didn't appreciate before but you fully appreciate now <clears throat> um i mean the boxing i think the boxing 
was the part that I most fell in love with and that I most realized like the boxing is what's going to help set up everything else, you know, my takedowns, my ground um, and just feeling I always just wanted to like, you know, brawl, do a brawl and, you know, try and knock out <laughs> and hope that something lands, you know, and now I realize, you know, and I learned that, you know, if you just place it in the right place, you know, in vo higher volume, like one, two, three, four, five, um, it's way more effective and that sets up you know, everything. When I get the girls to put their hands up, you know, the fan, okay, I can take down. When when fainting, you know, and realizing that the whole game is similar to jiu-jitsu, you know, it's like jiu-jitsu, we set up things all the time. I try and sweep you, and then when you defend the sweep, I go for armbar, you know, or when you go to one way, I already use you, and I push your way to the other side, and then I do a different, you know, then I do something else. So now I'm like, okay, the striking's like that too, and now I understand it more as I did in my whole jiu-jitsu career, and I can have the same mindset that I did for my jiu-jitsu career um, with MMA. That's like a totally new sport, really, you know? So um, I think that was the biggest thing, and just um, just taking my time, you know? I think as soon as I came into the UFC, it was, like, so much hype behind me, like, oh, the next Ronda Rousey, the next Ronda Rousey, and all this stuff, and I felt like, man, I needed to, you know, the UFC, you know, the media was kind of doing it more than me, but you end up falling into this, like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm going up fast in the ranking and everything. Um, and just, you see like Charlize de Bronx, who's been in, been in this for a long time, has had so many fights. He has the record of the most submissions. And now finally he became the champ. And I think he's at the best moment of his career, like finally mature as a fighter. And I realized, okay, yeah, my, my career doesn't have to be like in one year, two years, you know, just take my time. And when I'm ready to be the champion, I'm going to be a good champion, you know, like prepared and stay there for a long time and be well-rounded. She's the first Mackenzie Dern. Believe that. She'll be fighting Yaoshan on this Saturday. UFC Apex, ESPN Plus, UFC Fight Night. Mackenzie, thank you for your time. And don't let those hecklers talk about the accent. It's authentic and perfect. Okay? <laughs> come on. Come on. All right. Be <laughs> well. Thank jealous. you so much for They're joining jealous. us. I thank you, Mackenzie. <laughs> Bye, guys. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. There she goes. All right. The very talented uh, Mackenzie Dern. All right, BC. Let's see if we can reset here. I'm not sure what the tech team is doing. Hey, shout out uh, to our tech team for making it happen, Luke. We're, we're growing right in front of you, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see what they're doing here. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm looking at on Zoom is what the crowd sees. I don't know what they see. Uh, it says keep going. All right, let's do this then, BC. I don't know if the team is ready. I can't see you on Zoom. So I don't you really don't, know. You don't really need to see me, Luke, but... Uh... All right. Uh, well, we want to transition, if we can, to... Are you, uh, Corey, are you guys ready to transition to the movie stuff or not? Yes? Hey, right, Luke, right, what, so this, what, everything's working out perfectly today, timing-wise. What, what a day, I right? got to say, I got to say, you know me. I'm Debbie Downer. I'm Captain Grumpy Pants. I didn't think this was going to work. Not only did it work... She was very nice, gave great answers. She was on time. She was on yeah. time. They never show up on time. She was on yeah. time. So She's not always there when uh, I call, Luke, but she is always on time. I'll give her that <laughs> All right. for sure. All right. So I asked her that question uh, about the movies. She did a thing called Humanizing Athletes. I always mispronounce his last name. I think it's Alex Bahunin. He's a, a great uh, journalist uh, out of Las Vegas. He writes for MMA Fighting and some other places. He does this thing where he asks these fighters favorite food, favorite drink, favorite color, favorite movie, favorite whatever, all this different stuff. And they always fill in the answers. And sometimes they're weird. Sometimes they're cool. Sometimes they're normal. Mackenzie's are mostly great, although she did like Justin Bieber. I didn't care for that. But uh, her favorite movie was A Knight's Tale. And I tweeted. Uh, I was like, yo, we're going to give her uh, if, if, if A Knight's Tale is apex cinema, 
we got to give her some recommendations. And people were like, boy, people went to the mat for A Knight's Tale. Now, BC, I understand that if someone acts like they know better than someone, that's the fastest way to piss somebody off. I know that. Yeah, but that's that. your default state, Luke. Come right, on. But here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. If if you're one of those people that defended A Knight's Tale, I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I know better than you. Okay? Dude, I just every, want to be very clear okay, about that. Every girl who was of teenage age between 1990 and 2022 loves the Night's Tale. So let's not act like she Listen, was like Howard the Duck on or something. set, male or female, hetero or not, want, wanted to bang Heath Ledger. It just is what it is. I understand that too. But in the spirit of uh, fun, in the spirit of fun, BC and I said, why don't we come up with five good movies that MMA fans might watch? Fair enough to say, I'm not going to pick you the most, like, I'm not going to go Akira Kurosawa all nerdy and all that bullshit. No, these are recommendations. Just, Our top these are five. are real ass recommendations, Because look. Right? Mackenzie Dern chose something that speaks to her. These are our top five of the week is five movie recommendations that if you haven't seen them, they speak to us. Let's go to the graphic. We got a graphic for this? Yeah, top five. All right. Yeah, yeah. look at that. Okay, Pretty but it's good. not the favorite movies. It's a movie recommendation list. Yeah, it's not here? top five. Yeah, let's be very clear about this. The graphic is wrong. It's not top five favorite. It's just five movies we want to recommend to MMA fans, but in, in the in the spirit of good faith and all fun, BC, why don't you go first? Okay, number five, Luke. I had to pick a zany '90s comedy. Why? Because that's who I am. People forget this in the great canon of Saturday Night Live stars expanding their art form to the cinema. 1993. So I married an axe murderer, Luke. It's not going to be an award winning comedy. But it's Mike Myers and Randy Ch and Nancy Travis, excuse me, Anthony LaPaglia is a great cop buddy. Great cameos from Phil Hartman, Charles Grodin, Michael Richards, among others. But Luke, this is Mike Myers taking his zany comedy and taking the foundation of what would become the Austin Powers character. You can see a lot of those derivatives in, in this uh, showing his first major feature starring comedy role. It's zany. It's wacky. It's got so many great one-liners. Director Thomas Schlame, Luke, you may remember him as the executive producer of The West Wing. Uh, I found out here, Luke, budget was $20 million. It only made eleven and a half in the theater, but it became one of those cult VHS tapes yes, because it it's just Mike Myers playing himself, playing his father, classic lines like, there's a piper down and hid, move, hey. hid. I mean, you can't forget these things. It's fantastic and by the way i found out do you know who turned down the roles for this no. woody allen chevy chase martin short albert brooks and sharon stone for the lead wow. female role all turned it down um it won't win any awards but you want to put on something and laugh in a kind of zany bc type of way so i married an axe murderer as a forgotten comedy classic thank you uh head pants new right I remember all that shit. It's, yeah, uh, you're right. I, I completely co-sign on this I recommendation. Mean, look, did Mike Myers become insufferable? Yes. This is prime, brother. This is like yes. right before, you know? This is like post-SNL. or I'm not sure exactly when he left SNL, but that felt like it was post-SNL. Post-Wayne's Wayne, World. So he was rising. Post-Wayne's okay? World, too, yeah. He was killing it there. Uh, for my first one, now this is the only one I've recommended that's super gritty, super dark. Well, that's not quite true. But this is the only one I've recommended that's foreign language that's super gritty. All right, but you got to go with me on this one, okay? Amores perros, which literally means like, like, it more Dog or less, friends? 
Dog friend. No, dog, dog love, but no. I mean, it's sort of like more like 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 uh like love dogs. Love Plus loves love a dogs. bitch. No, 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 no. But it's more like loves a bitch, like difficult love or hard love, that that kind of a thing. It's a Mexican movie, by the way. It's it stars Gael Garcia Bernal, who by the way played Hector in Coco. I think he also played uh, Roberto Duran in Manos de Piedra. I think he did that. This movie, if you want to know how dark and gritty it is, the guy who made the director who made. The Revenant, that's the movie where Leonardo DiCaprio gets mauled by the bear. It's the same director of this movie. It's Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. That's his name. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, one, it's maybe one of the best foreign language movies I've ever seen. Uh, it's three stories all in one movie. And it is all about how these loving complicated relationships when they're not managed properly plus people in difficult circumstances how it can easily descend into chaos and in unpredictable ways. And it is fucking awesome. I cannot, of all the movies I picked, I put it number five, but of all the ones I picked, this is by far the best one. Like, by far the best one. In fact, it's largely considered to be one of the best Mexican movies made ever, ever. So you've got A-list actors, you've got an A-list director, you've got three stories packed into one movie. They don't all inter- they don't really it's not like they're just they're, they're basically separate stories. It's easy to get through. You can watch it in pieces and because of that, cannot recommend it enough. My only warning to everyone is it's a tough watch. It's a tough watch. There's fucking violence everywhere, blood a lot and betrayal and all that kind of stuff. But but one of the more unique movies you're ever going to yeah. see, powered, powered by excellent filmmakers. Look, I had a hard time not just putting my five most recent favorite neo-noir flicks in here. Would you say it fits that category of genre? Something like that, yeah. It was made yeah. in 2000. It's not that old. Um, I guess that's kind of old, but, you know, it's not super old. You still have relevant. Again, the director is still relevant. Some of the actors are still relevant. It's a tough watch, but... Woof! Uh, you'll never forget this movie once you see it. I'll put it that well, way. Well, I'm always down to watch a tough watch one time, Luke. Like you're not going to watch Schindler's List again, right? It's exactly right. It's I mean, it's, it's not quite on the level of Schindler's List. It's a little more, um, you know, accessible than that. But y- yeah. to your point, yes. All right, number four for me, Luke. They used to talk about this film a lot in the '70s. Nobody talks about it anymore. I just watched it for the first time. Matt Snyder of Showtime made me do it. 1976's Network, Luke. You cannot find a more award-winning film when you consider that this uh, this film was nominated and won Best Actor, Peter Finch, posthumously, Best Actress, Faye Dunaway, Best Supporting Actress, Beatrice Strait, who was in the film for five minutes and did one speech and won the Oscar, and Best Screenplay. There was also another actor nominated for Best uh, Actor, William Holden, that didn't win it, and the Best Director and Best... Um, uh, supporting actors also came up empty. But Luke, what is it? It's a satirical black comedy drama in which an aging news character, newscaster, Howard Beale is the character's name, uh, loses his shit on air, goes mentally crazy. And the ratings of him on air telling his inside truth, his, you know, conspiracy theories started going up through the roof so much on, on network television here that suddenly people became the network execs became so aggressive in wanting to exploit it that suddenly the entire industry flipped itself on its head desperate for ratings this film is the absolute best predictor some 25 years earlier of where we would be at the turn of the century with 
garbage reality TV that we are addicted to that we cannot stop watching. This predicted that in such a crazy dark way with murder. It's got huge stars. It's got that famous quote, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Anyone who grew up going to Yankee Stadium always remember they play that scene to get the crowd hyped up. Um, this is absolutely an instant classic that I'd never seen. Luke, did you see this thing? It, it is so damn brilliant. I can't believe it was done all the way back in 1976. Ned Beatty's yeah. in it. He was nominated for an award. I mean, it's got one star after another, but collectively they nailed this thing. Haven't seen it since college, but everything you're saying, again, dude, two thumbs up on your recommendation. I like both of the movies you've recommended so far. Network is absolutely everything BC says it is. Iconic scenes, predictor of the future. It has last... It, it, here's the thing. It just stands the test of time. Made before you and I were both born, and you can watch it now and be like, holy fucking shit. That's how good this movie is. I echo everything BC says. Thank you. All right. My number four. So because my number five choice was both a foreign language movie and a fucking violent one at that, I decided to go the opposite. Here is a movie you just can't go wrong on, especially if you're a pothead. My number four choice. Fun, fun comedy. Shaun of the Dead this is a 2004 British movie, although I think you can get it a lot of different places. The two guys who star in this, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, you've seen them a million times. They're a hilarious comedy duo. In fact, the guy Simon Pegg. BC, have you seen any of the Mission Impossible movies? The guy on the computer, the more recent Tom Cruise versions? No. That's Simon Pegg. He also plays Scotty in Star Trek and the new uh, readapted Star Trek. It's the big fat dude who's Nick Frost and then Simon Pegg. It's a zombie apocalypse story where these two British morons don't really, a guy gets fired from his job and they don't realize there's a zombie apocalypse. And it's them trying to navigate that in the process. It is fucking hilarious. British comedy is some of the best comedy ever anywhere easy to watch funny as shit runtime i don't think is that long didn't make a ton of uh, yeah 99 minutes you can get in and out of this thing no problem super super funny and it's doesn't take itself so seriously all those zombie flicks where they're all trying to outdo each other and everything there's none of that it's just light-hearted good fun great jokes the buddy comedy duo between frost and peg is next level can't recommend it enough sean of the dead I've never seen it or heard of it, Luke, but you, you had me. Okay, you had me. I'll watch it. I'll You're, check dude, it out. Dude, of all the ones I recommend, I would put this one number one for you. Shaun of the Dead all is right. very easy to watch and fucking hilarious. All right, my number three, not on my favorite movie list, despite the words on the screen. How about my recommendation list? Luke, you remember peak pandemic? I did nothing but drink alcohol and watch war movies one after another to make my final top 20 power rankings of the best war movies ever made. Yes. You know what I kept not talking about? And I think it, there's a reason. 1993's Gettysburg. It gets forgotten in the modern history of war movies. Why? Because it was supposed to be a TNT miniseries and it's four hours and 14 minutes long. But Ted Turner, who owns TNT, of course, watched it, saw the quality in it. He actually acted in it as a as a general in the background, put it in the theaters. It kind of failed in the theaters. It cost 20 million to be made. It only made 12 million. But you are talking about star-studded performances. Jeff Daniels, Sam Elliott, Tom Berenger, Martin Sheen, C. Thomas Howell. But most importantly, it's a spe it's centered around a specific battle in Gettysburg and the turning of the um, of the Civil War. And Jeff Daniels, Luke, I think got absolutely robbed that year, 1993, of an Oscar nomination for Best Actor. It just puts in He's the a good performance. Actor, dude performance of his career and obviously we know him dumb and dumber he's done a ton of serious roles i loved him in that uh 
that HBO series, The Newsroom, that came out about 10 years ago. But Luke, this is the performance of his career. It is four hours long. It's epic. It's slow, but it's great. And I think whenever we talk about glory and all these great war movies that we all grew up with, people forget this one. It used to rotate on TNT every weekend. You'd have to buckle up. It's a classic. You're not going to be disappointed. Believe me on that. I haven't seen Gettysburg in a long time, but it's it's pretty good. Uh, by the way, Gaff says, honorary mention for war movies, The Thin Red Line, which, by the way, folks may not remember this, 1998's best Oscar nominations, I believe, had both Thin Red Line and Saving Private Ryan in it. So keep that in mind. Um, for me, my number three. So I went crazy, gritty, foreign film. I went very funny British film, but it's really not that foreign. Let's go to this one. Here is a movie that my dad told me about. He's like, it's a true story. I'm like, this old motherfucker doesn't know shit about movies. You think I want to see some bullshit? So he made me watch it, and I was like, holy crap. My dad actually had a great recommendation. Quiz show. This came out in 1994. It's a true story. There used to be a game show on NBC back in the day called, I think, 21. And they would... They, I, I don't want to reveal the plot, even though it's already already out because everyone knows the true story. There was a history. There was a family that was famous intellectuals, the Van Doren family. In fact, I've read one of his dad's books on um, pieces of world history. The character's name is Charles Van Doren, who had a public life far after this. But the basic idea is that without giving away everything, I, I want you to watch the movie. Charles Van Doren came from this very famous family and got ensnared in a cheating scandal on the game show. That got so big, it ended up being a function of congressional investigations and the whole nine yards. And it's this story of how this famous guy from this famous family, this public intellectual family, got ensnared in it, how he navigated it, and what the fallout says about powerful people, powerful corporations, powerful entities all along the way. It stars Ralph Fine, who is just a phenomenal fucking actor. He's been doing this forever, and I can't overstate this. I don't want to give it away, but it's a true story. The movie does take some artistic license with everything, but this actually happened. There was a ginormous cheating scandal with basically what is the it's it's a different type of show, but was the precursor to Jeopardy. Imagine there being a massive, massive cheating scandal discovered on Jeopardy, what the fallout of that might be. That's this movie told about the real story, about the real family and the real guy. Easy to watch quiz show. I saw this on a legal box pay-per-view when it after it uh, exited the theaters. Luke, very good film. Good recommendation. All right, number two, Luke, is going to take me into the gritty, half neo-noir, half political statement. And it's brought to us by Oliver Stone, 1986's Salvador. I've mentioned it before. It was a monumental movie for me when I saw it in Mr. DiLorenzo's freshman year uh, geography class at Naugatuck High School. I don't know how he showed it with the drug use, the nudity, the the assaults on women that happened. But here's the deal. <laughs> Oliver Stone not only directed it, he wrote it, he produced it. And James Woods, who was nominated for a Best Actor uh, Oscar in this one, as was the uh, Best Screenplay, was nominated. Look, this is a tour de force of being a driven scumbag. Basically, uh, James Woods and Jim Belushi are journalists that head to El Salvador in the midst of a civil war. And it shows the lifestyle of these, uh, you know, wartime journalists and photographers who literally put their life on the line. But because it's Oliver Stone, there's a much deeper political message that still resonates today about 
how selective at times the U.S. government can be in which wars they put their money in and take part in and which ones they don't. Uh, Cindy Gibb is also in it. It was a flop at the at the box office, four and a half million to make. It only made one and a half. But Luke, this is so damn gritty. And when you read how it was made, it's one of those movies that Stone overblew his budget, was running out of time. It was difficult to film in Mexico. It was dangerous. He also would try to turn the locals against the lead actors to raise the intensity when they were filming. So while they were filming, they were never quite safe. You go back and watch this. This is a another tour de force. Uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff in the last one, Jeff Brid- was it? Uh, Jeff Bridges? Is that who I said last time? Jeff Daniels, excuse me. James Woods in this one. I mean, you could not crush being a, a, an Oscar-nominated dirtbag better than he can in this film. It is a, a wild ride that uh, I didn't forget it watching it in high school, and I just rewatched it last year. It's still it still matters to me, Luke. Have you ever seen this classic? Can I tell you honestly, I have not seen this movie, and you have piqued my interest with this one. I did not even know about this movie, so now I have to see it. All right, there you go. Number two for me, this is... Um, BC, I think it's fair to say, if you're an American guy roughly our age, but younger as well, hell, older too, there isn't anything quite like fucking gritty British mafia crime movies. Oh, yeah. I fucking love them. I just fucking love them. British gangster movies are some of my favorite. My number two choice, Sexy Beast, starring Ben Kingsley, but some other folks as well. Ben Kingsley puts on one of the best... I mean, everything he does is fucking first rate, Uh, but... In this movie, I cannot overstate how good he was. He was insane. He plays a fucking deranged British gangster who is a bully, mean, ugly to people, vicious, the whole nine yards. It involves an underwater bank heist. It involves murder. It involves betrayal. It involves escaping from places. And it ends with one of the most fucked up things you're ever going to see. It is fantastic it's a one that a lot of folks haven't heard of a friend recommended it to me years ago i'd never heard of same year as amores perros by the way uh the year 2000 what a phenomenal movie easy to get easy to like easy to get into easy to stay hooked they keep you hooked the whole exact way and the ending is just not to be missed especially for the performance of Ben Kingsley. The guy who directed it, Jonathan Glazer, didn't really do anything major other than this. This is by far his most major work. Of I know everyone likes lock, stock, and two smoking barrels and all that shit. Don't get me wrong. That's great. Two thumbs up. Trying to give you something that maybe you hadn't seen that is different than that, obviously, but, you know, involves that British crime element. Sexy beast. Can't go wrong. Uh, I, again, I haven't heard of it, but you kind of sold me on that. Look, I'm going to look these up and chip away at it. Uh, my number one is a movie I've mentioned before. Uh, it was my favorite movie for like 15, 20 years. It's still one of my best. 1996's Beautiful Girls. Look, it's a forgotten, star-studded 90s movie when you consider that the cast includes Matt Dillon, Lauren Holly, Timothy Hutton, Rosie O'Donnell, Martha Plimpton, Uma Thurman, Michael Rappaport, Natalie Portman, Mia Sorvino, and David Arquette. But here's the deal. Screenwriter Scott Rosenberg, who also wrote Con Air, High Fidelity, and Gone in 60 Seconds, he was sitting in his dirtbag Massachusetts hometown thinking, there's more drama in my shitty hometown than there is in a lot of these movies that I'm trying to write and sell to Hollywood. Luke, Ted Demi was the director, the late Ted Demi, the, the nephew of Jonathan. Um, he produced Rounders. He directed Dennis Larry's comedy specials. He was behind Blow. This is his tour de force. It didn't gross well in the theaters, but it became a cult hit. Why? Look, we love buddy flicks, whether it's like Diner or 
you know, St. Elmo's Fire or the Big Chill or whatever. Like, you know, we grew up with that. This is the 90s version of what it's like to grow up in a shitty suburban industrial hometown, come back for your 10 year high school reunion and basically see such distinct characters that you can 1000% relate to at different points in your life. Um, Timothy Hutton plays the lead. He gets into a scandalous yet pure emotional relationship with his 14 year old neighbor played by Natalie Portman. Me saying that out loud doesn't age well in 2022, nor should it. But this is a beautiful movie filled with great one-liners and one of the most underrated rock soundtracks in terms of bands you may have never heard of. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, Luke, but they just nail my upbringing and and in a lot of our lives before we grew up and got out of our own hometown. I mean, it's just perfection. You will not be disappointed watching this flick. You you, you I haven't cannot. seen that one in a long time. I don't remember much of it, so I might have to check that out again. Um. All right, last but not least for me, want to pick a fun one that you just couldn't say no to. One of the best movies of the 1980s, made by John Carpenter. A lot of people think of John Carpenter, they think of They Live or Escape from L.A. This was actually made before both of those. How about Big Trouble in Little China? You've even seen me wear the t-shirt at times. I love that movie so much. It's fucking prime Kurt Russell, prime Kim Cattrall in a crazy martial arts movie about mysticism, overcoming evil raiden like ninjas and all this kind of weird capers that these guys all get into it is so perfectly 1980s and what i love about this is yes there are some visual elements that were pasted on top which you know doesn't really stand the test of time in terms of being brilliant visual elements but a lot of what they did and a lot of what really stands out is they built a lot of things they built incredible sets they built costumes. They built design around it, very John Carpenter-like in that way. And it just brings everything to life. No, this is not going to make you smarter. No, you're not going to learn anything about the world watching this. But you're going to have a damn good time watching one of the best martial arts movies of the 1980s made by a famed American director that you know uh, uh, put, to me, extra effort into all the things that make it better. And it just is one of these movies you can watch over and over and over and over and over again. As you indicated, BC, not my favorite movie, not even my favorite martial arts movie, but one I think MMA fans could not say no to despite their best efforts. Hey, you, you nailed it. I haven't seen that since, what year did you say it came out? I got to see it on this. 86. 86. I saw that on, probably on HBO in like 87. I've never seen it again. Look, I'm, I'm due for a refresh just to find out what happened with the Guai Lo. <laughs> that's more a Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon movie, but uh, this one is incredible. I remember it was Egg Shen, and that's where I make Egg fun Shen. of you because when, when you when you eat food, you close one eye, and you always look like Egg Shen from Big Trouble in Little China casting a spell. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, that's our top five of the week, Luke. Uh, let's close with this every Wednesday. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Your chance to send in your artwork, pictures of your life. Us, you wearing our merch. We call this fan submission. You've got mail. Viewers. You've got mail. Viewers. And normal female viewers. We got a few of them, Luke. Shout out to uh, Nicola from from Scotland, I think. Shout out to Melissa Loves Nachos, you know, grooming the, the next generation of Californian students uh, in her elementary class. Uh, we got a lot of people's wives, Luke. There's a few female people, right? We got to represent. Yeah, we certainly do. All right, let's go back to our mails, though. Andrew B. says, Nate Diaz announces his next post-UFC move. 
a straight-to-streaming acting career for The Daily Wire. Okay, I mean, we're just taking shots at Nate Diaz here. What are we doing? I mean, it, it, it kind of hit. I'll give Andrew credit. It kind of hit, Luke. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, let's go over to Josh H. He's from Perth, Australia. He says, down here at the local barber shop down under, we've got Luke and Hipster Luke. The prices are even included. Keep in mind, <laughs> this is Australian dollars, so the standard cut is just $16.22 U.S. How far would one need to travel from D.C. to get a whiff of prices this low? First of all, I've never been as handsome as either of these pictures, but yes. uh, I would go to this place. I would get a haircut. Okay, and you'd save a lot of money, Luke, except for I'd save a airfare. shit ton of cash. Uh, Danger Mouse is here. Normally he closes Wednesdays. He says, hi, BC. There are moments we all have in our lives to be proud of. You had yours in that excellent RSD with Chael Sonnen. Bask in the glory, BC. What does that say, Luke? Can you read that? Uh, when his joke gets a look away, look back, laugh, finger point from the American gangster himself. Congratulations, there BC. There you go. You finally uh, made it. Danger Mouse says, uh, talking of moments, I had one myself last week provoking, provoking a rant from Luke before you even had time to read out my text explaining that that was the very purpose of the meme. Pure gold. Anyway, that last one on that topic, I promise. <laughs> Again, everyone here, it's Norfolk, Virginia. They would go, no, it's Norfolk. No, it's Norfolk. It's okay. Norfolk. Go And go Norfolk yourself. And Deidre Mouse says, the competition has been getting very creative lately, so I've made a thumbnail for your MK Music Show. Just let me know what artists and songs you'd like. Very reasonable rates apply. Oh, my God. They got the American Psycho shit. Oh, boy. This oh boy. is Su-Sudio. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Phil Collins. And thank you, Danger Mouse. All right. JP Luke has survived that uh, storm that hit Nova Scotia and Mount Unike. He's still sending his fan subs using someone else's Wi-Fi. He says... Uh, this is MK Gents on Delta Flight Row 8 with Andre the Giant. <laughs> he says, good day, fans. Um, F you, Hurricane Fiona. Nothing can keep me away from my weekly fan sub. So here we go. Last Friday's show, our MK Gents were telling washroom tales of the beloved Andre the Giant on airplane flights in the first row. Yeah, they'd put a curtain around him so he could poop. He couldn't fit into those closets. Who knew, Luke? Um, imagine, imagine if we like could... a day where he f like forgot to put on deodorant or something. Oh, it's probably every day. Uh, imagine if we could bring Andre back and they all get on a Delta flight, specifically row eight. What would that look like? It'd be disgusting. Thank Dude, you. How great uh, would it be to get uh, rest in peace? You know, obviously, but get get him on the RSD couch and then just do gummies with. How many gummies would he need to get, to feel it? Uh, the, everyone produce everyone you can make every single one. <laughs> There's no question about it. Like you with your fifty something you know, beers it would take to hey, get for you a drunk. while. That was true. Yeah. Two, two margaritas. And you're like, you know, all right. I don't, uh, Luke, I don't drink anymore. I don't drink anymore. JP also said last Friday show, Luke announced he's teaming up with our very own merch partner, RJ Dunkel Gangbang, <laughs> and coming out with the official washed old Luke Thomas bitch ass man purse. Apparently when you want things done for MK, all you need are producer credits. And to quote, I made it happen after I put it in his ear hole. Luke, since I'm 40 years old and washed, thanks for the promo code. Expect my order soon. Love you guys. It's JP. Only problem is he spelled Columbia wrong. Oh, yeah. That's enough to get you. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be a tough vote for Donk of the Year, Luke. People are written. Yeah. C-O-L-O, everybody, not C-O-L-U. All right. A couple more to close here. Here's Vladimir A., longtime watcher, but first-time submitter. I've seen a fair amount of this MFR and had to throw one in here. Go get that award. 
that is fucking great. Thank you, Vlad, for joining, stepping in and joining the party. Um, Alan W has two photos for us. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really. Oh, that, it, dude, you look. Actually, I gotta say, with the long hair, it suits you. That's really, really good. There. All right. We barely uh, speak it. Old oh, washed bastard. Look at this. Oh God, that's beautiful. Jimmy, Jimmy, ya, Jimmy, yam, Jimmy, yay. Give me the burrito because I'm washed all day. Wow, old wash bastard. That is. Remember, so for folks who don't know, this was ODB. It's a. It was the cover of his album, but more than that, it was the actual welfare card he used to go and cash the welfare check on MTV. So that's where this all iconic album cover, no question about it. All right, we also have something from Morgan J. He says, uh, "Hey Brian, I joined the Three Needle Gang recently. Just want to say, unless Brian's kink is ball torture, I had to have multiple anesthetic to the bag." on each side before I can feel anything. Yeah, Morgan, I had three in the bag. Three! Um, shout out to the partner for the care coverage when I got home. It's as traumatic as you think. Now, I'm not necessarily here, Luke, for people taking live shots of themselves during the vasectomy, although I did text my friends during it to tell them how painful <laughs> it was. But um, I, I do uh, <laughs> I do support the, this. The, this is fucking hilarious. Whoever made this from him, sore balls, no nuts. <laughs> <laughs> no more babies. That's hilarious. Oh, that's Go back to the stuff. picture of the dude in the mirror. Hold on, real quick, and then blow it up full screen, please. Real quick. You know, I mean, he what's was... my man? What's what's my man doing here with the Lloyd Christmas haircut? What are we? Well, doing he here? was on his way to hell, and he and he thought of us on the way there, and I appreciate that, Luke, because that's a traumatic physical and mental experience. I know everybody's like, BC, I got mine done in five minutes. No anesthetic. It didn't even hurt. Yeah, you didn't have the 75-year-old uh, Vietnam veteran that I did who works one day a week, Luke. What? That's, do your due diligence. Please do it, okay? Because I That's felt fair. everything. That's fair. Felt it all. Uh, we close with Oliver. He says, on two recent episodes, BC and LT have turned a simple chuckle into a completely unnecessary hacking gag attack. What is happening to these fellows? After 40, do you simply lose the ability to have a, a decent laugh without gagging on your own phlegm and turning into a water-eyed grandpa in the corner choking to death? It's just laughing, my dudes. Get it together. Just don't die on us, please. And they got the onomatopoeia on the screen there with glug and sploosh. This is fair. I mean, my excuse is that I vape like a fucking asshole. What's yours? I, I've just washed, you know what I mean? You know, I mean, I can't, I, I'm fighting off colds uh, left and right, uh, you know, all the time, Luke. I, I do have strong immunity because of AG1, but I'm constantly fighting. And, uh, you know, if I lose it with laughter, anything can come out, any fluids. Luke, that is actually not the end of our fan submissions. Do you know good old Courtney M., one of the finest producers from Showtime? and the, Let's just call her what she is, the backbone of MK. That's what she when, is, the When backbone. shit needs to get done, and this is true, it escalates up the line, and Courtney gets it done. She always has our back. Well, as we established, Courtney, th this Thursday night, Boston, Massachusetts, she will be fighting a three-round boxing match on the Bells of the Brawl 9, Boston 2022. It's happening at the MGM Music Hall. Uh, many of our donks have supported through donations. You can hit that QR code right there to, to find out Courtney's fight, the reason why she's fighting, to raise money for cancer victims and specifically a, a friend to her family. Uh, there will be a live stream of this fight if you're interested, but let's see and hear from Courtney herself, right? Heading into this. Let's hear. Luke, BC, it's your favorite morning combat producer here. 
Courtney, just dropping a line to say thank you both so much for the Haymakers for Hope shout out that you did on the show last week. Um, there are some MK ride or die donks that actually reached out and donated to my page and their contributions put me over the 25k fundraising goal that I had. So truly overwhelmed by the support from the MK uh, fam here. Cannot thank you guys enough. Um, and I'm just excited to get going. The fight's tomorrow night, so there's still time to donate if people were still thinking about it. All of the funds that I raise are going to go to Mass General's Caring for a Cure Fund. Um, just so excited. Hopefully I'll bring home the win for you guys and avoid being featured on Campbell's uh, Have You Seen This Shit on Monday. But you never know. Um, <laughs> thank you guys again. MK all day. Nearly every damn day. I will see you at the studio on Monday. Wow. Wow. All right. Now, Originally, now we were BC, BC, serious question, because we haven't even talked about this. If Courtney gets stretched, are we going to mock her on Have You Seen This Shit? <laughs> oh, God. So it's a three-round headgear, like amateur rules. And look, they are quick to do standing eight counts when someone gets hurt. But if she gets stretched, her and I did have a conversation, it will appear on the show. She's expecting it. She was actually supposed to appear on today's episode, but time constraints and our last minute guest, she sent in that video. I want to personally thank any donk who's helped her reach that financial yes. goal or at least is cheering for her. There are links out there. If you want to watch her fight live, it's going to go down Thursday night, tomorrow night, the MGM music hall next to Fenway park in Boston. The name once again is um, it's called bells of the brawl nine. Boston 2022 Haymakers for Hope is the charity behind it. Luke, some people want to talk about it like me. Some people are going to be about it. I give Courtney a ton of respect. They matched her up competitively with somebody who's in the same situation. I think they even had some sparring halfway through training camp to make sure that they're both on the same level. I'm expecting a war, Luke. Okay, we're going to find out what Courtney's made of. Uh, amazing. Uh, you guys helped her to uh, reach her do her goal of... Uh... I think she raised over $25,000 or maybe even more than that for cancer research. So you guys, whoever donated, you can still do it. Obviously, you see the QR code on the screen there. Thank you so much. Courtney, I can't say enough good things about her. She makes the show work. And if it wasn't for her, I don't know what the fuck we would do, to be quite honest. But of Courtney, if you get the KO, we're going to show it on Have You Seen This Shit? And if you get KO'd, we're going to mock you. That's just what we do. So I think she missed my offer. <laughs> I offered that we would work her corner with MK doc cams rolling. And I don't think she accepted that, but we're cheering for, we have one more fan subscription to uh, some description to close here. MK all day, nearly every day. This man says, thinking of you guys from sunny Italy. Yes, I am wearing clothes, but I cannot show myself in my MK boxer briefs for obvious reasons. Luke, this is CBS producer, Mikey Mormile, another backbone of our operation here, enjoying his multi-week European vacation in sunny Italy. Your thoughts. I mean, he missed a, I should say, he picked a good time to not be in Florida. Um, I hope he gets rest because I can't wait to work him like a mule when he comes back. We love you, Mikey. Enjoy the time off there. He's heading up Amsterdam soon, so we may never see him again. Yeah, but uh, fair. what are we supposed to peep the knee in the bottom left of the frame? Is that his knee, Luke, or is he just happy? I mean, to also, him? Mikey, could your phone be darker? I mean, what the fuck, guy? I mean, come on, don't don't get out of this guy. Uh, that's our fan subs for the week. Morningcombat at gmail.com if you want to join this weird party. Uh, thanks again, guys, for backing Courtney in this battle. And Luke, take us home, okay? All right, as a reminder, Courtney fights tomorrow, so we'll give you some of the results of that on Friday. If you still want to donate, that would be great. If not, we appreciate everyone who has lent her support. And again, big 
Big, big shouts. Courtney is, I can't overstate it, the backbone of this uh, operation. There's a lot of different backbones, but it's a nice thing to say, and I really mean like She's just a critical, critical, critical component of what we do. So your support for her is very much appreciated. Reminders, of course. Uh, Showtime. Bellator will be on Showtime Saturday night. Saturday night, I think right after UFC. So there's no conflict. You can watch both. You go to Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you are allowed to bounce. Uh, morningcombat.store for all of the merch. Again, we already showed you the email. Give us a follow on all the different places on social. As a reminder, MK is on TikTok. MK is on TikTok. So go have a look at that over there as well. Last thing, if you are a fiending for fights tonight, you can go to Invicta FC 49, Delboni versus DeCourcy. They're going to have uh, an Adam Weight main event title fight. I think it's going to kick off at 8 p.m. in the East. Uh, we didn't even get hey, to Bo Nickel, but we should do a bonus clip, or you should do an extra credit squared, or something on that. Right? That's a that's a big story. Also, Aspen uh, Lad got cut. We got so Aspen. much extra stuff. We can't fit it in this show. We can't even fit it in the, the the today's show. But we got a lot in just the same. We'll talk to you donks on Friday, and until then, for CBS, for Courtney, for Showtime, for, for Mikey Dern. over in Italy. Say again. For Mackenzie Dern as well. For Mackenzie Dern. Thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. For everyone else involved with the show, until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.